0: You're gonna to have to do that flocking option, or whatever you're talking about. Somebody oh, come flock it, this thing. Back
1: on. <laughs> Mother flocker.
2: <laughs> and we're back. Should I let you do a real, a real one?
3: No, it's a clap. It's just syncing okay. things up. All right. Colton's the one who's gonna be pissed at you for
2: you pissed, bro. Doing
3: it wrong. You mad? <laughs> yeah. So. Hunter podcast back again. <clears throat> twenty nine episode twenty nine. Whoa, must at thirty.
2: Twenty nine.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's that's the maximum
2: I can count on two hands. How many hands? Two hands. I can't get to thirty.
3: Three. Oh, I can do that on one hand. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's like how many fingers do you have? <laughs> oh uh, well, I mean, uh, there's not a not a ton of prelude to this one. Another guest. Uh, joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh Midwest White Tells Jared Mills. Mm-hmm. Uh 41 North Jared Mills. Mm-hmm. Um excited to have him on. We I did a podcast with him said earlier this year. We yeah. talked about some of the like winter survival and stuff. And so now here it is July and summer and velvet growing season and I know uh Mike has shared a super giant that he's Already got on camera. I'm not yeah. sure what Jared's got, but that's Magnum. Part of today's discussion is kind of see what those guys are up to. I assume what another couple weeks and they'll be out of the off season and into Midwestway till full swing again.
2: Yeah, I wanna say they start that in mid August. August sometime. Yeah. 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 So another few weeks. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we want to try to tie some stuff together. Yeah, so let's we tie. we had we had Bill obviously bill winky mm-hmm. on early uh you know one of the first podcasts that we did and um that was it's like a mute is that your stomach what <laughs> i heard that from here dude what'd you hear i heard somebody's tummy, tummy rumbling i'm here you didn't hear your own tummy? Was it my tummy <laughs> i think so
3: so so, anyways,
2: you you knew Bill through yeah. Cabela's because yep. Cabela's was a sponsor of Midwest Whitetail. Mm-hmm. You were working for Cabela's at the time as Worked a them. regional wildlife biologist. Mm-hmm.
3: Worked on Bill's farm. Uh huh.
2: So you did a lot of food plots, and we don't want to take credit away from Bill, but you, you, I think you found a couple of the bucks, a couple of bucks that he ended up know. killing. And yeah,
3: it's because he didn't like to run trail cameras during hunting season, which I was like, what?
2: Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so Jared was. Uh, at Midwest Paltel, Whitetail during the time or yeah
3: and so at that point Jared had <coughs> lived local to Bill. Mm-hmm. Um he doesn't now I think he's moved to Iowa City, I think, or Des Moines mm-hmm. or something. Um I can ask him. But at that time he had lived in Albia area because Jared I think also was part of the original Muddy team. That's right. Back in the day. And uh, Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So yeah. So he was on he was one of the original pro staffers. Um, you know, wasn't working per se at Midwest Whitetail, but was doing some production and some editing and stuff like that for them.
2: Cool. Yeah. So did you
3: get to know Jared at that time or not until more um, recently? Probably not to more recently. We did have some interactions in the <laughs> latter part of that. Some interactions? Interactions. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was really around like the deer grow side and stuff. When deer grow started coming on and we sponsored Midwest Whitetail in- Yep, back in the day. Yeah, That's right. 2016 or 17. Okay. Um that's when jared and i started working together because obviously he's does a ton of food plots and stuff and so we started having our discussions there and just kind of continued them um, he's uh, jared's done some um buck profiles for buck score with us yeah. um that freaking giant he tends to kill yeah dude i i like jared just i like his mentality he's not listening you don't have I to know say that? i know
2: oh okay i like him i think that uh like he's just he seems like a humble guy and he's obviously killed some freaking giants like he's a
3: good deer hunter yeah well dude that's it i mean you think about uh like obviously people still think of bill winky when they think of midwest whitetail but if you start to think about the guys who have been there consistently through the history of midwest whitetail jared is one of those guys and it, i mean it seems like every year the guy has like an epic hunt. Yeah. like just one that you're like yeah that was awesome Yep. You know, he just, he, he puts in the time and, and, um, you know, he's hunted some bucks that he hasn't got cracks at. That one what was it, two years ago. It was just a slob of a monster. Um, yes. You know, that's that the
2: one that a lot of people are familiar with the deer walking out of a CRP thicket and he's yeah. crouched behind a bush in, like yep. 10 yards away. Yeah. Yeah. Had he seen that deer, uh, you know, before it saw him, he probably would have, probably would have killed it. It's like, what was it? Two, like two twenty something. Yeah. Yeah. And I much.
3: mean, that's the kind of stuff that you start to think about, like. Uh, I'm sure Jared will be humble about it, but the guy probably misses opportunities on a lot of bucks that we would all be plenty happy to kill because he's going after some giants. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I've watched him pass multiple, like, you know, 160-type deer that I'd killed. But a, that's Iowa. Today. I do
3: know he's started to travel a little more. I think he killed a velvet buck in Kentucky last year, too, we can yeah. talk
2: about. I think he's done some western hunts, too. I'll be interested Maybe. to hear
3: kind of how that um, – how that's kind of playing into their plans here with Midwest Whitetail and just kind of where him and, and Mike and the guys are going to kind of steer this sh- this whole ship. Cool. Well, let's like, get him
0: on. Let's bring him on. Hey, hey. What's up, guys? What's going on, man? I'm much busy, like everyone, nonstop. I can't believe it's July already either.
3: Are you starting to get some rain out there or what?
0: We're, we've been getting uh, a few little. We got a little shot last night. It's been... It's been in spurts, went from drought to a week later, we're flooding, and then we back in a little bit of a dry spell right now, But we got a little bit yesterday. Did
2: did you feel, I was, I mean, I know that, you know, you really live this thing, but I was telling Jeremy this morning, I felt like a tangible shift this July. I I don't, I don't know if I normally feel that, but like literally on July 1st, I was like, let's go, (laughs) let's go. Yeah. It's for dark. me
0: i'm trying to slow time down uh, I can't, <laughs> like i said i can't believe it's july and i'm nowhere near ready for the uh, september when, yeah got no Cohen
3: so what do you got i guess jared in, in terms of any kind of changes out of the gate for this year you know looking at um what's kind of the the closest to you so are you got when do you guys start doing um i guess call it normal midwest whitetail season is that mid august
0: yeah, that's when we'll really start ramping stuff up. That's when we'll start ramping up the regional shows. We kind of made the decision this year to not stop our quote-unquote off-season show. Mm-hmm. You know, normally, we're done by now, but we're still releasing weekly videos. You know, In all reality, we're, we're doing stuff all year round, so we can always yep. create that content. I think there's there's something good to be said about a little break from a production standpoint, just kind of catch our breath and, and revamp back up. But um, from a viewer standpoint, it's, it's nice to give them... Something consistent and and all that content instead of forgetting about middle slight tail for two and a half three months yeah and getting back so we haven't stopped that but we will, we'll definitely re, um, just ramp up the amount of content starting about mid August and get right around the first of August when we release chase in November so everything kind of feeds off of that I can't well, wait when is that? sorry when is that August right year? around the first week of November or first week of I'm sorry first week of August sweet.
3: That's the perfect timing, man. November. Yeah. It's an important month. Yeah. Yep.
0: That, reviewing those, I just reviewed one of the first episodes today or one of the finals and I was going through a bunch of trail cam images and like you're saying jared <laughs> just doing that kind of lit the fire a little bit it got Ch- you a little more excited
2: chasing november i think it's just it's so perfectly um timed and you guys do such a good job with it it's like a shot a shot in the arm that i need like r- right at that time where it's like well mm-hmm. we still got two months before any of these seasons are start well, mm-hmm. you know yeah. white tail seasons are Name starting anyways else. but it's like it's enough to get me through and it's a solid production, so we we certainly enjoy it.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's one of those things, too, that, you know, Jared, you, you guys know your audience. Like, when you did take that break, like, we didn't. Like, n- none of us as deer fanatics took a break, right? We were always th- planting food plots or thinking about cameras or where the stand's going to go or leasing property, whatever it might be. So, like, there was a gap there where, you know, we're still out doing stuff. So I think it's just natural fit that you guys continue your kind of off season stuff because we're all doing it. Like we're all thinking about it. I, we're talking I about remember,
2: it. I can remember, uh I don't know if it was like five, five years ago or, or four or five years ago, like when, when Bill was running it and uh there was that gap, I can distinctly remember being like, I would check back on Monday. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, what? <laughs> Not Where's this next episode? He's like, oh, we're taking off season break. I'm like, no, no, no. What are you, I, teachers? I need, yeah, I need, the, I need Midwest White Tail. What are you on strike? This is ridiculous, there's no man. hunters union. Oh, this is crazy.
0: Yeah, there's think. no doubt it was designed for the production crew. You know, yeah. it, it's it's a lot producing that semi live content, and but well, we, we have a really good team in place now, and I think we can handle it. And everyone chips in with the content, not all centered around. You know one main guy and so <clears throat> that that's helpful where i can provide content one week and mike can provide content whoever else can provide content splitting it up is nice to just kind of help each other out and uh, like i said and like you guys alluded to i think it's important for the viewers to not have that that break and, and it helps you know just with our our um just presence yep. digitally to do it year round
2: so how many guys do you have like as like the, the core team this year
0: so it's pretty much our internal. So we have, um, including myself, we have five full-time employees. So all of us will contribute. And then Mike Reed, who's not an employee, but he's a, a part owner. So it's that group. So it's myself, Josh, Drake, and Mike as the main four. And then Mike, uh, I'm sorry, Max and Grant are two newest employees. They'll, uh, they'll support us with content too. They're dude, a couple dude, of our,
2: those guys have been doing a great job. I saw the piece they put out for, um, a few sites the mm-hmm. other day. I just, I, I can't remember his name, but he's got like a, a really good attitude. I can, I can just tell in the tree it seems like fun to fun guy. To yeah, have those guys are
0: awesome. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. And I know you guys have talked about our internship program, but they were both interns and came out of that. There you go. And that's, that's the best thing about that internship program is we get a feel for the guys that really fit our model and more than anything anymore. I look for guys with the right mentality, the right attitude, um more so than production experience i I look at that of course but that's a very secondary thing Hmm. you know it's just about having the right guys on our team selfless guys that that want to contribute and then have the ability to learn because it is a pretty steep learning curve and um you know the work the workload is a lot especially in the the heat of the fall so guys that can handle that and respond to feedback and and guys that can take initiative. We don't have a home office or anything. So it, it's like we're all spread out remote. Mm-hmm. I mean, that takes a special person too to be able to initiate themselves and, and get work done without, without someone over their shoulder. So it, it's all about good people, and we have a really good group right now.
3: That's awesome. And, yeah, it, it's It's really cool. I mean, that internship pipeline has been, you know, so lucrative to the Midwest light, Whitetail brand over the years that, you know, it, it's it's really set a tone to probably who the quality of people you're getting into now that know like, hey, if I do this correctly and I do if I work my ass off and I show that I'm a team player, there's a good chance that there may be a long term spot here for me.
2: I think I think Bill told us it yeah. was like what a 90, 95 percent placement rate of everybody that Somewhere was an in intern like found a spot in the industry. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome to create that reputation because that increases the strength of our our candidates, obviously. But I, I love when we get towards the end of the year, I have a number of companies that reach out every single year saying, hey, you know, how the internship program you got anyone you aren't hiring, that'd be a good fit. Wow. Um, that's pretty cool. Like, it, you know, I love being able to help guys get into the career they want to get into so it, it is pretty cool it's, it's cool looking back uh at the history of the internship and how it's come off for a full circle i you know i started back in 2010 and was running the program you know for a couple of years there before i i left but um and now i'm background in it again so it's kind of cool just to look back on that that history
3: obviously you guys aren't uh you guys are like playing in the majors here but it's almost like you got your own little farm league there that you're kind of you know transforming the players to to bring them up and then disperse them out there
0: yeah yeah it 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 is cool i mean like like you said it's it's uh it's cool to be able to trial people for sure too that, that that fit within our company but um I, I enjoy making it as, and, and all our guys, Josh does a really good job with the internship program too, but we want to make that as good of an experience and as real of an experience as possible for those guys because, you know, it's just as important to show them if they don't want to do this or at least not work in this side of the hunting industry.
1: Yeah. Industry.
0: Everyone wants to get in the hunting industry, but, you know, this may not be <laughs> the right avenue. You yeah. know, we, we show them what it's truly about. Yeah.
3: There's it's, a lot of sacrifices. It's, oh, it's
2: interesting you say that because, uh, Frankly, that's how I got in touch with Midwest Whitetail initially. Was there was a Facebook post put out or whatever about we're we're taking applications for internships, and I wrote. I don't know if it was like Bill's personal email, but he was the one that got it, and he responded to me. uh, And I was pretty um, specific about like where I was at in my college career and what I was looking for out of an internship, and what I would or wouldn't be able to pull off in terms of like a, a fall commitment. And he wrote me back and just basically told me straight up. He's like, yeah, he's you, like, he's like, you, you seem qualify. He's like, no, he's like, you seem like a great <laughs> candidate. And he's like, I'm just, I'll tell you. He's like, I don't think what we're offering here is what you're looking for, mm-hmm. based on what you're telling me. Uh, which is actually, how, you know,
0: what year was that? Do you remember?
2: Oh, it would have been my uh, 2013 maybe? junior year in college. I graduated college in 2016.
3: So Has it's 2015-ish. 2015? 14, 15. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That would have been in the middle of my kind of hiatus from working in the yeah. industry. I and mean, I still always produce for Middle so Tail and I produce content from my house uh, when I was doing a different career, but that would have been the time that I wasn't working full time for Middleswight so Tail.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's when I was 14, 15, because I was still at Cabela's. Because then Bill was like, oh, yeah, just yeah. talk to this guy.
0: Well, that's I how like,
2: I met Jeremy. Right.
3: Yeah, it was because Jeremy
2: was at the farm quite a bit for Capella's. And uh, yeah. just so Bill introduced us. And so I've been working for Jeremy basically ever since. Mm-hmm. Soppy yeah. seconds. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Sorry, it's working
0: out. It's yeah. cool to look back on that. And I think there's so many people with similar stories as far as trying to get into this internship. I I think I started watching Middlesbrough so till right around when it came out. I was in college at the time, 2008, 2009. And I was getting ready to graduate and I reached out to Bill, same thing. Um, Just, you have any internship programs available? And at at, that time they didn't have anything official. you know, he had some local kids kind of helping him film and stuff. He responded and said, you know, we don't have anything, but, you know, I'm sure we could create something. Why don't you drive up here to Iowa? I was going to school down in St. Louis and playing baseball. Why don't you drive up here to Iowa and we'll just visit for a while and see what we can come up with. So I drove up and we sat in his basement and talked for a couple hours and who kind of created this internship and uh, added one other guy, so it was myself and a, a guy named Alex. We were the the two interns that year, and it turned into a full time job a few months later. Um, but it, it's just, you know, it's crazy how things like that just—that's all it takes—is an email and a conversation, and that's how it started. And then, you know, the classes of interns we've had in 2011, I was you know somewhat running the program and that class you know look is warb and sam soho and you know all these all these guys that um are doing some really cool things in the industry now and yep. you know that used to be just us and a little office in Albia.
2: and it's so funny that just bill started with the neighborhood kids yeah it's <laughs> just bill and the yeah.
0: neighborhood kids filming hu- filming or pulling hunts.
3: in your and those guys yeah it's yeah it is. exactly it, it's so nuts man to think that well and you know, you think about the evolution of this series, you know, at one point, like, like even take, um, all the regional series, like with Colton's uncle being part of like, yeah, the, you know, the Eastern series and stuff like, dude, the amount of content that was coming out of this machine was just, it was almost overwhelming. Like there was just content everywhere. Like any day of the week, there was new pieces hitting, you know, YouTube or wherever. And you're just, people are just consuming this stuff. Um, And I think that it was, it was so undervalued at the time, right? Because TV still was like the dominant factor, right? And then here comes Mm -hmm. this like digital push and there's all this content, you know, and it's living on the website and wherever else. But it's like, I don't think the industry and maybe even the hunting community knew how to take it because it was, it was so different than what we were used to. Like nobody really just got on YouTube and watched stuff at that time still. Like it was still young in its days. And now here's this like very regimental business that's coming out and saying, Hey, we've got content Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, like all hitting from these different regions. And here's the main show. And it's like, Whoa.
2: Yeah, man. Well, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want to go all the way down this road, but like it seemed like the outdoor network essentially got, or just um, outdoor content, I guess, mm-hmm. the outdoor channel essentially and Sportsman's channel, like those things all got completely turned on their heads yeah over the past you know since i've been working here you know six seven years Mm -hmm. to where
3: i I mean it still exists but i mean it's it's, well i mean even you guys felt the need at some point to be on sportsman's channel right that mm -hmm. it was like hey midwest whitetail has to be on sportsman's channel and you did that for several years
0: yeah yeah it's the the timing is probably one of the most impressive things that build a such a good job with over the years uh, of the course of growing middle tell You talk about the the timing of chasing November. You know, all that stuff is intentional. But even just the timing of going digital, timing of pulling off the sportsman channel, Jeremy, yeah. like all that stuff Bill did such a good job with. And you know, I, I don't know that he could have predicted all those things to work out the way they did, but looking back, it was, you know, the, just perfect timing on on how we grew the platforms and and how the, the hunting industry may not have been ready for it. Like you said, Jeremy. but it was, it was good timing from, and it wasn't YouTube, the big one at that point, it's yeah. just the web, the, com website. Yeah, the dot com. Um, the timing of that was, was great. And it, it was just access to information and, you know, guys, um, just wanting the local stuff, the, the stuff throughout the country. And, uh, it was just, uh, it's cool to look back on it and see where it came from and, and where it's at now for sure.
2: It's gotta be, I mean, not to be doom and gloom, but like doesn't seem like we're out of the woods yet. Like you know, when the outdoor industry, the network stuff got turned on its head, like like I said, it still exists, but mm-hmm. it's it's pretty sloppy. Mm-hmm. And so like YouTube has really become the the primary platform for like all things outdoor industry, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um Set aside, you know, you've got your OTT streaming. You've got like uh, Outdoor America and Waypoint. There, and there's two
3: others on. Yeah, you but got they're, Pursuit, Embasio Go, real tree 365. Like, yeah, you, you've yeah, got a bunch.
2: Yeah, but, and, s- like, even now, though, like, uh, just kind of, it makes me a little, un- like, we put this on YouTube, obviously. And well, I, know, I
3: just feel fragmented in, in some It is. Like, and, and Bill was very, I do, Jared, I remember having the conversation. It was probably in 13 or 14, because we just started Stone Road, and, and we were doing some things with Bill, and... He was so adamant about having it on the website, like everybody had to to come to the website. And I was like, well, you know, ultimately, man, it could be the sum of all parts, right? You could be on Facebook, you could be here, but like, you know, and you just use all of those together. He's like, no, like I, this is where I want them," And it, it evolved to where like you needed to be in multiple places. I still got,
2: (laughs) excuse me. I still got that sense. <laughs> Are you me. dying?
3: <laughs> yes, I'm choking on my water. I still got that sense from when we
2: talked to him a couple yeah, weeks ago. He wants
3: it in one place, and
2: I understand <laughs> it's the quality of the impression and the quality of the traffic. 100. He believes and he's really promoting that. But yep. yeah, th- there,
3: But you, now you I get- feel I feel like we're almost forced <clears throat> to be fragmented, and it's not that we're, there's no right or wrong to it, honestly. But it's like, I feel like I do need to be on Realtree 365 and I do need to be on YouTube and I do need to share at least a few minutes of it on mm-hmm. Facebook. And then maybe that drives people to some other. I think place. The,
2: like, the unfortunate thing is like it should be YouTube or something like YouTube, like just a, a very mm-hmm. accessible network. <clears throat> the, the problem is where you run into censorship is like that. that's where we're threatened as hunters or just as our lifestyle and we don't control that platform certainly we're not life. alone that yeah. that's
3: the that's what bill loved about the website yeah is he 100 controlled that platform didn't matter what anybody said didn't matter what google decided didn't matter what carbon tv or whoever else decided it was like i'm on my website and i control this place unless amazon owns your domain and they well then you're screwed decide to start getting <laughs> frisky yeah then you're out Well, I mean, the hard
0: the hard part is you can't force viewers to go to the platform they don't want to be on. If they they spend all their time watching videos on YouTube, you unfortunately have to be there until YouTube goes away, which it could tomorrow. We all know that. But then the problem is that fragmentation, like you alluded to, like you there's not one single place beyond YouTube that's going to have that. And and people talk about like we need a hunting industry youtube you know that's never going to go away but the problem is there's just too much competition
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know, everyone wants that platform you know whether it's real tree 365 or the mossy oak go like those are gonna, always going to be two separate things so yeah, there's a th- uh, there's a lot of different places you can find that content and there's nothing really set up that's bulletproof for the future right now, in my opinion.
3: Well, we have different interests. Like uh, if I want to listen to music, I can still do that on YouTube. If I want to watch something about fishing, I can still do that on YouTube. That's
2: the problem with any hunting exclusive, anything. Like if I've heard so many people say, Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to make Facebook for hunting or I want to make YouTube for hunting. And it's like the, the people aren't going to be there. Even the hunters, like we want to be where everyone else is engaging with, you know, every all mm-hmm. topics, yeah. you know, and if I want to dip my toe in hunting, you know, that's, that's where it should be. And if it's, i want to look at family photos or whatever it is, yeah, they're, they're all obviously there. different platforms for different things, but I just see such a weakness. Obviously it worked out and, and you've got to where you guys are on now, but I think the, the website, you know, maybe weakness is the wrong term. Like, it's not ever going to be as powerful as mm-hmm. YouTube because that's mm-hmm. where the viewers are at. And in the same way, it just seemed, it doesn't seem like you can do that well, with anything. I mean, that's forward. the
3: fear of getting handcuffed by YouTube is like you become more and more dependent on a platform that you don't control. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, I feel like you have to be diversified. You're forced to be diversified at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that quality of, a view yeah. discussion you know I, we still see it when we look at the people that consistently go to our website and watch the shows there they are i would consider a more influential or influenceable um viewer like yeah. they are bought into middle till they go there on a daily basis to check new content and you know whether that if that matters to our partners or not i don't know it should but um we, we don't ever want to Get rid of it for that standpoint. You know, YouTube, you get a lot of views that are non-subscribers. just guy's popping in; they see a thumbnail, whatever. Yeah. But the middle of viewers are middle are the middle tail community, the very loyal uh, consumers of our content. So yeah. it, it is; it's a lot more quality view, and uh, we don't want that to go away. we you know we have discussions about this all the time, but we're working on finding ways to make the website uh, a little more. Um, user-friendly, a little more attractive for guys, more reason to go there, you know, potentially maybe mobile app type of situation where it's a little more accessible, a little more easier to digest and get the type of content. It's not so overwhelming, you know, know, things like that. But we don't ever want to just say, all right, we're just going on YouTube. I don't think that's a good uh, future proof. It's an interesting
3: point because, I mean, obviously, like we talked to Warb not too long ago on here, you know, there's part of me that worries for those guys because they're so invested in YouTube, right? There's there's a website. Nobody goes there, right? It's Everybody goes to well, YouTube dude, look, to watch look, the hunting look, public. Look
2: where we came from, though. Like, <clears throat> whether you like the outdoor channel or not, like at one time, it was on the, yeah. the, the cable package that everyone had, and it was where all the shows that you could watch, it was all there. Mm-hmm. And it was so great for, for that reason. And then when it kind of like... Um, it got divvied up or what people started getting interested in digital and like certainly they didn't keep up with it there is no one place and i wish that there was like it seems like if, mm-hmm. if you could find a way to get back like yeah i'd love to see a midwest whitetail website or app that was super user friendly and certainly it would get some traction but ultimately like i think it's in the industry and in hunter's best interest that there's a you know, a single platform like that that represents hunters on a on a more accessible network then obviously the Outdoor Channel has kind of gone away in that essence. Yeah, and I don't think it's YouTube, unfortunately.
3: So I guess with yeah, all that, with that all that said, Jared, kind of obviously we're you know few several weeks away, obviously from uh, <laughs> Is this year. Trying change to change the subject. Think, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's a transition of like you got chasing November coming, you've got continued off season, you've got the news. So what is, what's your plan? Like where, where are the places that we're going to be able to find Midwest Whitetail in, in this fall?
0: So obviously the two we talked about, the website and, and YouTube, YouTube still dominates our viewership. That's where we get, Mm -hmm. um, you know, upwards of 80%, 70% of our views. Probably, um, we're on Realtree 365. We'll be on Realtree's YouTube channel as well um we have we're on waypoint we're working on the outdoor america that you guys have mentioned yeah. working on getting some of our content there um amazon prime we're kind of we're scattered we're, some of we're all, kind some of all of all all parts, over the place. man
2: let me just make yeah
0: it. i mean it's and a lot of it's you you you're just there because it doesn't necessarily hurt you you kind of you probably you don't really the views in my what i've seen you don't really lose views. They're not stealing views from something else. You're actually gaining
1: mm-hmm. these
0: people there are spending their time there. That's where they watch the videos. If it's Amazon or whatever, you, you pick up some new viewers there, but <clears throat> a lot of it's a, this whole digital game, it's a lot of trial and error. You just kind of, s- you know, try stuff, see what works, see what gets good responses. You know, Waypoint's been really good for us. We've been working with them for a while and we get a, a good amount of views there, but YouTube right or wrong still dominates uh, Hmm. what we do right now
2: yeah for better or worse like this digital age of content consumption has certainly leveled the playing field for you know people to get creative on how to get views and and how to get you know good content in front of people for so long it was like whoever can afford the cost to be on outdoor channel and whoever has the connections to Mm -hmm. the sponsors those were the guys for so long but now it's like
3: you know and it's so for granted. Like, anybody can, can do that. But well, at least get discovered, out, right? Get discovered, I mean, right? I, we've, we've watched things that, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I tune in to follow them every time, but when they put out a, a cool YouTube video, like, who's the guy from North Dakota that we always watch? Yeah, J- Jason uh something. Yeah. Billabo. Jason Billabo. He, he does basically one North Dakota bow hunt, mule deer bow hunt, a year, and, like, we look forward to it coming yeah. out.
2: You can take this and apply it to your YouTube strategy, as should we We've found a lot of guys via specific research on areas that we're going to go and and hunt. So we found Jason, and we should should get Jason on the podcast. Yeah, for North Dakota. Because we drew in North Dakota, and we were going out to do a a bow hunt, and so I'm YouTubing uh, North Dakota Badlands Archery Mule Deer Hunt, and sure enough, Jason's got pretty specific year same way we found the element you know we're going to Illinois yeah Shawnee Forest this year so that's how we found those guys they've been on the podcast Mm -hmm. here recently so
3: so Jared I know what last was it last year that you went to Kentucky and shot that velvet buck
0: yep it was last year that was that was really the first time hunting out of state for whitetails in a long time so that's what
3: I was just gonna say like I I felt like that was a kind of outside the box thing for is that something that you are looking at doing more this year
0: uh, potentially I haven't really figured out if, if we're going to that one kind of developed from, I mentioned grant, one of our newest employees. Um, that's where he's from. We hunt his one of the farms he grew up hunting. That's where we went to hunt. So he just kind of extended the invite said, it'd be fun to get some early content. We went down there and did it. So we, we may do it again this year. It was, it was fun to get out early. Um, and then we went straight from there to, to Montana yep. for the elk hunt. So it it can be a busy September if you start hunting that early uh, (laughs) compared to October usually. But but, um, the cool thing about that trip was I was able to take my wife and daughter. So it was more of a little more family and I wasn't gone for as long, which is the hard part about having kids, as you know.
3: Yeah, no doubt, man. Did you uh, mount
0: that velvet buck? Uh, It is being mounted right now, yeah.
2: Cool. Uh, It's not finished yet. got like a a plug, I guess, for a company that we work with but also a recommendation for i guess i should ask you first what what has been the process for the velvet like did you get it to a taxidermist right away and
0: i did so uh i got it to him that night and it was a i think it's a a pretty good he does really good work um but i do not know what the process is that he does to the velvet because my taxidermist up here i called him right away and he's like you know it's when i shot the buck he was coming out like he was it was probably the last day he was going to be in velvet. There's velvet hanging off the the end of his beam, and um, so there's no time. I couldn't get back to Iowa, um, so I went took it to this taxidermist uh, locally there in Kentucky, and dropped it off with him. You know, September 5th, the day I killed, and I just got that back like a month ago, maybe. So that's how long it took, whatever process he used. uh, That's how long it it took for him. You do have it back. He just did the skull cap. I got the just yeah, just a skull cap and rack. Um, And then I'm having my my local taxidermist here do the the full mount. Oh, gotcha. um, Can I ask? It was it was was one of those deals where he's just checking in with them all the time because my taxidermist was like, "Hey, where's your rack at? Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, get it. What did it uh, what did it run you? Can I ask? How much did it cost?
0: For the guy in Kentucky. It was like 50 bucks. 50 bucks to
2: do it? How did it look? Good?
0: Yeah, it looks pretty good. I mean, I don't...
2: I wonder so if he my did... O- my
0: person so only one, but... Dry?
2: Or, uh, yeah, so the, the two methods that like we're, we're aware of would be
3: uh, injecting formaldehyde. Which so, I think which is for...
0: He did not do. For
3: earlier ones. I guess like, there's three. Ones that are still like very blood-filled in velvet. Yeah. The other one is freeze-drying, yep. which... I,
2: I think a lot of people do the freeze-dry method. And the third, which sounds like definitely is not the case with yours, is the reflock them, wh- yeah. where it's basically a fake velvet they put on and it looks like crap. Yeah. So we work with a company. So
0: I, I honestly think it was none of the above. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but he, maybe, maybe there was maybe something to deal locked. with him soaking it in something he soaked it for it a long is. time maybe
2: it's possible so we work with this company called velvet antler technologies and their flagship product basically is something called velvet lock and it's essentially okay. just like uh it's a mixture of like mineral some, oils, some, some kind of and alcohol and essential oils and yep. it procures velvet so it essentially dries out the flesh between the velvet and the calcified bone underneath. Mm-hmm. And it's like $29.99 for a bottle, and it eliminates the need to even take it to a taxidermist. You just for, spray it
3: in the field, like on it, and just let it dry. And if it's like really in velvet, like there's a lot of blood, you just soak it twice, but you just yeah. let it dry, and it's no no bugs. And like it's just it, a spray. You don't have to soak it. Yeah.
2: Like it's a spray bottle, and you just drench the thing down, and it just dries it out and pushes all the blood out, and it's set, set and done.
0: There's a lot
1: of
2: taxidermists
3: oh, the- starting to use it
0: interesting yeah whatever he used it it was some type of soaking procedure and it took forever to dry because every time unless he just tell me this but every time i checked in with them he's like no not quite dry this is not quite
2: dry. this is uh 72 hours (laughs) and you're done well (laughs) if it was
0: uh if it was like my guy i kept
3: asking where mine was and it was because beetles were eating the velvet Uh, off of my uh, buck yeah i sent him uh, a uh, a skull to do a european on so i Soaked it with his velvet lock, right? Velvet was perfect, right? All the all the fluids pushed out, and it was close to it was probably. I I think we messed yours up
2: too. So I don't know if I talked to you about this because we've we talked. I talked to AJ since the the curing of the velvet process should not always. I suppose I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about beetles, but he said that they have had guys do treat it and then do the European amount, and the beetles don't touch it because it's been completely removed of blood and stuff. Yeah, you put yours in the freezer afterwards afterwards and so he's thinking maybe that's why i had to because there's
3: meat and shit all over the skull on the skull yeah it would have
2: stopped so did you bit. is yours
0: ruined then jeremy
3: uh it's now hard antlered yeah it's all. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's yeah. not ruined it's just <laughs> not, it's shed out of its belt yeah, yeah. Uh, i got it back in the mail and i was like son of a
0: bitch yeah you're gonna have to do that flocking option <laughs> or whatever you're talking about somebody <laughs> come flock but this it, thing it back on <laughs>
1: <laughs> mother flocker <laughs>
3: well so dude if you head back down and do that farm let us
1: let us yeah. know and
3: we'll send you some of that stuff it'll it'll
1: they, make the process they also have a,
3: another one they just put out called hide blocks so same thing when you cape out like as soon as you get that thing caped out you just soak it down on the inside and it'll it'll make sure there's no hair slippage, nothing. Like it's For just hot hunts. It's just something to like, mm-hmm. uh, well, like if you're going in the back country doing an elk hunt or something like, dude, how the hell are you getting anything that quick out of there? Mm-hmm. You know,
0: does that, that, um, double lock is that what it's called. Yep. Yep. Does that work on deer that are coming out? Yeah, like
2: that's one of their biggest okay. like selling points is so with injecting formaldehyde and all these processes, there, there is no good way of preserving velvet. That's this coming off. You can't inject okay. a flappy piece of velvet. So yeah, you just spray it and it preserves it exactly the way that it is.
0: Okay. Cause yeah. I think my text actually sent me something said, Hey, buy a bottle of this before you go to Kentucky. He said, but, and I, I don't think I bought any, but I remember him saying like, Interesting. After I killed that one, he's like, you can't spray that one. That one's too far hmm. along that it wasn't going to do it. So it, it was probably something different.
3: Yeah, we'll send you some, man. It's, it's good stuff. I mean, it's, it's just when we go on those. So we'll be back. We'll be in South Dakota and North Dakota starting on September 1st. Which we got some rain in last night. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Yeah, Awesome. Uh, no fires.
2: Quarter inch.
3: <laughs>
1: we'll take it. Quarter inch so far this year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. Um, but like
3: that, we'll just carry. It's so small. Like it's what, 20 ounces or something? Yeah, probably. You just carry it around in your pack. You don't even know it's there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, are you guys hunting public up there?
3: Uh, we are. So we're hunting private in South Dakota because you can't hunt public until October first as a non-resident. Stupid rule. Um. So we got a, we bought, uh, we got a lease there, and then uh, we're talking to some neighboring landowners potentially to get on their place as well. But in North Dakota, we drew. We'll hunt public. Yeah
0: awesome
3: yeah yeah we that'll be fun it's crazy man it's uh it's been it was a really cool experience for us it was the first time we were out there last year and just ran into a ton of bucks on on public land a lot on private land as well but it a blast um you know there's plenty of space out there and just really cool country in the badlands
2: it's just, it's just such a foreign deal to i think a lot of white guys especially you mm-hmm. know we've been talking a lot about like michigan and pa buck pole heritage like yeah a North Dakota mule deer hunt on September 1st is not that at all. No. It's just such a different, it's a whole different realm of, of hunting. And, and as we've tried to just expand our season and even out of state and into different species, like, man, am I glad that we came across velvet mule deer hunting because mm-hmm. that's freaking, um, there's so much opportunity and it's so much fun.
3: Plenty of breathing room between that and the opener for whitetail. Yeah. yeah and States. it doesn't
2: cut into the, yeah. like the rut at all.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of spot in stock. Yeah. Is it pretty open country yes. out there? All spot and stock. It was
2: the Badlands. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So typically, <clears throat> it's, it's I think, going to be pretty different, this spot we got in South Dakota as opposed to North Dakota, and they're only two hours away from each other. Um, North Dakota's in the Badlands, so... And it's weird how like all of a sudden you're in the badlands because it's like we're driving there's a lot of like sunflower seed or or sunflower fields Mm -hmm. and um you know just big i don't know what you call it tundra yeah like pastures big pasture ground and then as you get closer and closer to the river all of a sudden it's like there's the badlands like you can see them on the horizon and then you start getting into like less and less whitetail and there's pronghorn kind of all throughout and then all of a sudden you'll start there's there's mule, a muley doe over there. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into them, it's like, oh, like here's this all the, the mule bad deer. Lands. Yeah. It's so weird. I described it like driving into like Jurassic Park in that it's like, oh, like here they all
3: are. Like this is the where they live. Well, our, our natural attraction was like at the edge of the Badlands, but where there was like a ton of ag. And that's just purely the whitetail guy in us, yeah. right? We're like, oh, man, right. look at all this food. Like these deer are coming in. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a whitetail. There's a whitetail. There's pronghorn. There's some muley does. Those are all whitetail. And you're like, man, like where are these bucks at? And then you get into the country where it's just sage and alfalfa bottoms. Like well, deep. We, we were intimidated by the maps. Like we're yeah. looking at it.
2: We're like, I don't know about this country. It looks pretty, you know, yeah, pretty, treacherous. pretty serious. And then, but
3: sure enough, that's where they, that's were. that's where about. they're at laying under I uh, love, sage bush.
0: Yeah. I love those States that are so diverse like that. And I need to get back out and mule deer hunt. I, I hunted one time in Western Nebraska, uh, I think in 2015 it was, and it was, it was awesome. And we just hunted public land out there and mm-hmm. the, the amount of bucks we, we got on some really good deer. Um, yeah. I, well, Drew, Yarkoski, yep. he killed a, a really good one that year and, uh, if you get back out and do that's a fun, fun way of hunting for sure. That spot in stock.
3: It's a great way to kick off the season. I mean. You know, you have so much like momentum build up in August and like you got cameras active and but <clears> you're still a month away in most states. And it's like, man, it's like, is it ever going to get here? You know, most of your food plots are already in the ground. So you're kind of just shooting and like it just we're, hanging we're out. Like,
2: mm-hmm. uh, we're like less than two months away from this mule deer hunt. I know. That's coming quick. And, and I should say yeah. too, in, in contrast, Jared, to in South Dakota, which we've not been yet, but we're just looking at maps and stuff. It's a lot more... Um, like prairie and like rolling, rolling. hills. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it seems like there's like a similar population of. There's like one county in South Dakota to hunt mule yeah. deer in, and we're in it. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, wow. It's a big county. <laughs> That's though. cool. Yeah. So we're, we're, but so this lease we have out there is a is thousand acres, which around here is, is big. Yeah. Out there is like one of the smaller tracts of land that you'll yeah. come across. So initially I had a lot of luck calling and getting permission from surrounding landowners out there. They're like, yeah, you know, it sounds good. I've, they've got five or 6,000 acres. Like, yeah, we've got some mule deer. And, but all of them had that tone in their voice. When we started talking about when we're coming out and weather and he's like, and then they would realize like, oh man, it's just been so dry. Like mm-hmm. the, the fire concern is they're like, in fact, so some of them were just like, well, let's just wait and see. And some of them were like, you know what, actually just maybe this year's not the year. Yeah. So yeah. we're not. We're not sure what we're going to get into yet.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I I've been bitten by the elk bug, so that's kind of my yeah. September. The thing I get excited about for September, um, like I said, last year was the first year I I went out early for whitetails. But uh, I love I love going out west. It, if it wasn't for the big whitetails in Iowa, I'd probably live somewhere like Montana or something. And it's just the the amount of game and just the environment. It's I love it. I, I look forward to that probably more so than whitetail season right now. Don't say that.
3: Your show is called Midwest Whitetail. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know, I know, it's bad.
0: I, I I was warned that I shouldn't start elk hunting because that'd be the uh-huh. case. But
3: so, Jared, when um, besides the elk hunting side you know, you mentioned like the Kentucky trip being one of those first ones you took out of state. Is it just like the number of tags in your pocket and being in Iowa that, uh, you know, is kind of limiting you from going to like, we go to Kansas or we'll be in Southern Illinois this year um, to like, go out and try different things. Or is it just, you know, you got so many opportunities where you're at, like what, what's kind of your mindset? It's a
0: combination. I'd say it's a combination, you know, it's, it is really hard to leave Iowa during I'll switch you
3: at some point if you want. I mean, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> come on up. No, it, it, it is really hard to, uh, it's hard to leave Iowa. And you, now that I have bought my first piece of ground, I, I get a third buck tag. So there's never a time when you're really tagged out and, and can't do any hunting. So that's part of it. The other part of it now, I may have missed some, of my window to do a lot of traveling now that, you know, I have a little girl and, mm-hmm. and that gets tougher. And then also just from a work standpoint, I think a lot of people probably think I hunt for a living, but there's uh, it's hard to be gone for a period of five days or a week. Um, just the amount of videos and stuff that we produce and that um, that I'm reviewing all the time and the, the the correspondence with different people. I mean, it gets to be a lot. It's hard to just take a, a five day or seven day period off. So I'd, I'd say it's a combination of those things, but it's hard to, hard to leave Iowa in the fall for sure.
3: Does your little girl have any interest in hunting at some point?
0: It's a little early to say, but I would, they you know, all signs point to, yeah, she's, she's two, she's two and a half. How about, um,
3: what's your wife think of that? She all for it? Of
0: my daughter? No, yeah, she she'd name. be all for it. Yeah, uh, she's she has no interest. She's not against it, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. she has no interest. She she'll admit that she thinks our daughter will kill something before she does. Her, <laughs> she the other the other day, I was going somewhere. I don't remember where, but she my, my little girl. She was. Throwing a fit on the stairs, saying she wants, she goes, Daddy, I want to go on a hunting trip and I want to shoot deer and turkeys too. And so she just, so, you know, she, she loves, loves animals. She'll like hug all my mounts and, you know, all that uh, stuff. She's, she really,
3: uh, she let everybody know that's really what you do. You just travel around and shoot things.
0: Yeah, apparently that's <laughs> what I do.
3: <laughs> it is funny, man. I mean, it, it's, uh, so mine are five and nine. And, um, you know, it took, uh, I didn't take my oldest out till he was seven. Um, like actually for like him sitting, like we went out, but like he didn't hunt. And then it was just kind of like slow introductions. And then last year he was really into it, but like my five-year-old, like, and if, if I would have let him, he probably would have shot one when he was four, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. different kids take to it differently and kind of, you know, either they have an interest in it or the interest is there and it'll take longer to form or they've got no interest in it, you know? And, but it, it's crazy because, like, I don't – even if I'll get a big buck on camera in Pennsylvania, like, my season's pretty much a wipe until one or both of them shoot a deer, you know, because I just won't run. Yeah. I'll be taking out
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting to see because I know guys that are just – like, guys my age or older that are just ate up, you know, obsessed with it, and their kids have no interest in even though they've been exposed to it. So I think different kids take to it differently, but I think they experience – also plays a big part and that you know I'd be curious to know your opinion you know having a little bit older children than I do is you know we we want to make sure we're creating this next generation of hunters but I, I always question are we doing it the right way mm-hmm. you know I, I I watch you you want to make it a fun first experience for them early on you want it to not be too difficult and all that but at the same time we have so many things competing for these kids time as they get older you know if we take some of the fun and some of the challenge and, you know, a lot of the reasons that we do it and that we love it, we take some of that stuff away from Mm -hmm. kids early on, you know, when it comes to picking between Mm. playing a a sport or doing some other activity or hunting, well, are they going to think, you know, if we do everything for them, we pull the trigger basically, you know, set them up box blind, all this stuff. They don't Mm -hmm. do anything again. We want to make that first positive experience, but are we really representing hunting? You know, for the reasons that we love uh, yeah, doing I'm it, saying. so I, I think about that a lot. You know, I, I no, I, I think just, it's. A great I just know point, how much man. I love the challenge of it.
3: I think it's a it's a really good point. I I think one of the things, like if I look back when I started to hunt, so like in Pennsylvania, we couldn't hunt till we were twelve, right? I, oh, think I yeah, would,
2: we were just talking about this with Chris Duncan from, yeah.
3: from Muddy. He's got
2: some young kids, too, yeah, and we were kind of mm-hmm. debating like the crossbow application for kids and like, yeah. you know, b- box blinds, all these things that make hunting so accessible for, for kids. And, and I, I don't have kids. So like, I, I don't well, have first and let's be honest. None of us
3: had that when we grew up. No. Like we weren't in it well, box right. And, and to Jared's
2: any. point, I mean, dude, it's pretty night and day from like what you and I, and, it's a whole and different and ball. Game. Jared, like I went out and found this tree stand. It was my neighbor's. I thought the seat was like a, the umbrella type of deal <laughs> to like, my dad taking me out to the box blind with my crossbow and shooting a four-year-old the first time like that's that's
3: night and day it is and i think to your point jared the the challenge aspect because that's what i love the the one thing i will say and again not that i'm the right parent or or doing it the right way is that i those kids are in the woods checking cameras setting stands reading sign long before they're hunting with me you know, even, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go out this weekend and move some cameras around and we'll check sign mm-hmm. and we'll talk about where we're going to put stands and like, it is the prep of the hunt. And it is partly because, yeah, like when the time comes, like I've got cell cameras out. I know that there's a good chance that a stupid one-year-old is going to walk in front of that blind and one of them's going to get a shot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't have that when I was younger, which it definitely poses a challenge because I, you know, they're still young but I don't want them to not be challenged at all. But I also don't want it to be too challenging to where they lose interest. Where's that fine line? I think
2: that's a good point too. There's a great way to expose them to hunting without actually hunting. Yep. You know, whether that's blood trailing or like you said, oh, checking, cameras, checking trailing, trail trail cameras. food
3: plots, all of that. Like the stuff that, I mean, there's a group of us that still find that fun, right? There's people that'll look at that as work. they are, they pl- are, probably what 80% of hunters that will never plant a food plot. Like they just won't. Right. You know, I guess I'll walk it's out tired. more fun
2: than, than hunting.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, up until cell cameras came out, I a hundred percent think I scouted and checked cr- cameras more than I did. More than I hunted hundred yeah. percent. You know, I just, yeah, that's what I love to do is get out there and pattern them and figure them out and play this chess match. And then if I got to hunt and kill one, it was like, Oh cool. That was awesome too. But mm-hmm. it was just the constant, like finding these things and, and looking and searching and that's gone, man.
0: Yeah. I think it's key to include them in the whole picture. I mean, we all look at hunting as a year round thing, all these different activities fall under this hunting umbrella and, and including in, in them is key. And I don't know, I don't, uh, I've taken kids out before, but they've never been my own kids, obviously. So I don't have that full round experience and maybe, maybe you're not in the minority, Jeremy, maybe a lot of, maybe a lot of parents do that. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just know when you watch hunts, a lot of times youth hunts, they look pretty set up and, and I think everyone. Yeah. puts a lot of emphasis on making sure it's not too challenging challenging in the beginning mm-hmm. because they don't want them to not like it you know mm-hmm. that's the first step getting them to like it but i don't think enough people think about the further down the road thing when they have all these other decisions and other activities they could do or are they not going to pick hunting because their experience isn't that great like it you know it was fun shooting the deer watching it come out into the food plot shooting it with crossbow in the and the box blind and all that, but is that really the fun part? Is that right. gonna trump doing something with their friends or doing something else? Like I, you know, I just think that there's, uh, like you said, a balance you got to find. There, we got to think about both sides of it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really big point. I mean. I think there's a lot of opportunities to get them involved outside of the hunt. And frankly, I think all of them should be involved in those, my personal opinion, prior to hunting, just to have some more respect for that. It's not just walking out there, sitting in a blind and shooting something like there are things that go in, whether it's setting cameras, stands, planting a food plot, whatever. Right. Um, The the big thing that I, and I I don't have a good answer for it because I try to, push it onto my kids without pushing it too hard but just mainly because they they're not going to go hike through you know the woods for three miles with me or something but is yeah. the sign aspect like even today with all the technology and everything we have there's nothing that fires me up than getting into a new piece of ground and just looking at sign and like buck rubs and scrapes and like jared and i were in a new place in ohio we're standing in this what seems to be a decent saddle in this back corner we're like Man, a buck has to come through here. You walk thirty yards away, and you're like, "Yeah, big buck bed right here." And we got him on camera last night. Like, it just yeah. There's nothing more telling. Yeah, I, I
2: don't think even cell cameras are better than sign.
3: Yeah, hundred percent.
2: I mean, they they can tell you what the deer is specifically. Like, obviously, sign can't do that. Mm-hmm. But nothing's more telling to where a deer is and how he's acting than, than well. The we talk about labor. it all
3: the time. I I think a hundred percent can admit that my flaws now with cell cams are I rely on them too much and I don't hunt when I probably should be hunting and I miss opportunities and it, I don't know how to fix that because I'm trying to be as cautious as possible not to mess that opportunity up. But then when the opportunity is right, it's cause I'm seeing them on a cell cam and it's like, well, too late. <laughs>
0: yeah. You yeah. Know? Cell cams can be a great tool for sure. And you know, I use them, but I, you know, I I'd, I'd also draw, my own personal lines as to how much I use them just because again I think the challenge is the reason I keep going back out year after year
1: mm-hmm. I mean, it
0: truly is what drives me and, I, and that's not with just cell cams but all my gear I, I try to limit myself to not to make sure I don't get bored doing it to make sure things don't become too easy um that type of stuff so um you know everyone hunts for different reasons and that's great I think we have to have that um but I, I think that's also an important point to make is you don't have to do the same things that, that everyone else does. You know, we Mm -hmm. run into that a lot where people are always comparing, comparing themselves to other hunters. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you guys know it as well as I do. It's a, it's an issue in the industry right now, but you know, in general, I think just thinking about the reasons you hunt and sticking true to that is important when it comes to all these discussions, when taking kids out or the use of cell cams or anything like that.
1: Yep.
2: I don't know if this is like how to apply this necessarily, but like in in my case, and this is maybe hard for some parents to hear. I don't know, man. I'm not a parent. So this is, I take it for what it's worth. Like the reason that I got so fired up about hunting was not because my dad was big into hunting. Uh, Frankly, like I wasn't too keen on my parents. Like when I was that that (laughs) young, like I didn't want to be like my parents. I, they were just the one that grounded me and stuff. Yeah. My uncle was the guy that I thought was cool, not because he hunted, but I just, he was cool. Yeah. And, um, and he hunted. And so be- because I, he's the guy that I wanted to be like, mm-hmm. and he, you know, kind of exposed me to some hunting, didn't really give me any guidance I, I to this. I never hunted with him until I was mm-hmm. in my twenties probably, but he exposed me enough to really piqued my interest and then I would like i'd pick his brain about it i'd ask him and I, but he was just doing it and I was just observing and thinking it was cool and then I set out to figure it out myself and certainly my dad played a role in that too and yeah as did some some of my neighbors whose tree stands I found and hunt, you know hunted out of and got caught and for, you know all those things led to me just like figuring out my own path into Bo yeah but. I mean I
3: think it's a bit everybody's kind of got their own way i mean you know, no knock to them, but, but even look at um, Drew and Jordan. Like, those guys were yeah. always in early mid, and they, yeah. who, they don't like to hunt. Who Yeah, who better to have access to hunting whitetails in Iowa and, like, you know, they're not that into it. They weren't into it, you know? They were kind of a little bit at the beginning, and then just weren't. You know, sports took over, and, and that's like, so, yeah, I mean, you just yeah. don't know how people, whether they're a kid or a, a new adult. That's, we just got done talking about it with Chad from Michigan, but— you know, everybody's so high on this huge rush of increased hunter growth in 2020. It's it's false, right? I mean, the, the conditions that we experienced in 2020, we likely, none of us will ever experience again in our lifetime. And so to say, like, there's this big rush and there's this big renewal and to almost be a little gullible to believe that it's going to happen or at least be stable in 2021 is is a lie. It's not going to happen, right? Those people aren't going to hunt After they got involved, they're not going to spend tons of money like they did in 2020 because they got other shit to do now, Um, you know, and so it's it's a weird situation when you start to develop it. But there's there's a core group of us and I'm not saying even from an industry perspective, but just as a hunting perspective in all of our communities, there's a group of people who hunt, but not as serious as we do that probably look at us and say, you know, I really respect what those guys have to say or how they, they approach hunting or what their mindset is around kids and hunting. And when everybody's kind of, I want to say like jumping on top of each other, or just trying to say, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. it just makes us look dumb, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know,
1: right?
0: No, for sure. And we have to just be aware of that. Everyone again, hunts for different reasons. You just, you just want to make sure you do the best you can within your situation to have a good influence on others, whether that be youth or people just haven't experienced it because, you know, everyone has different. Passion levels for hunting. Right. But sometimes I think that's dictated by the experience they've had, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a natural passion. You either have it or you don't sometimes it's dictated by the experience. So, you know, part of that responsibility is on us. Yeah. And, you know, my story is really similar to yours, Jared. I mean, cutting your teeth on being self-taught as far as bow hunting goes and you know, a lot of the most serious guys and, and guys that, that hunt more than the average person have stories similar to that. So that's kind of where that whole thought process came from with regards to youth and trying to make sure that we do our part. And, and if we, we can be advocates that we know how much of an impact hunting has had on our lives. Yeah. And so we can be, we can advocate for that, but we got to do it the right way and make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot from the beginning by, thinking we're doing the best possible thing sure. when we, we may be hurting ourselves. So yeah.
3: it is funny though, because I mean, Jared and I have the conversation all the time where it's like, like what, if you don't hunt, like, what do you do if you, if you're not a hunter? <laughs> like <laughs> seriously, it, 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 it's a funny question. Like, yeah. Like I like to go fish. I watch sports. I do, but like, it I'm always, weird. I'm always thinking about hunting and bow hunting whitetails especially. So like, What do you do?
2: Time and money is consumed in our lives by that activity or that passion. Yeah, and if you don't, it's hard to imagine anything else consuming that amount of time. And it's just such a unique—you know—I call it an activity, but it's such a unique like lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And certainly not everybody should hunt, or you know, can hunt, or is a hunter. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to fathom like what else could occupy that brain space.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Thirty sixty five almost. I agree. And (laughs) people don't realize how much goes into it too. Like along those lines, when you are ate up with it and that's all you think about and you're doing something year round for that, you also create some good hunting for yourself. And so someone that doesn't do it on that level, you know, we see people criticize those types of guys all the time and be like, well, it must be nice. You have this situation, that situation, whatever. Um, You know, that stuff doesn't, that stuff gets created by what we were just talking about that that all in passion you you can apply to anything in life a guy that's super passionate about weightlifting or some passionate about some you know some sport or something you you see those guys are the ones that at the top of their game and whatever that is so i think i think think is no different
2: i think that ties nicely jared into our conversation about like get bringing kids up is like and it's such a a difficult thing like to to grasp but like the reason that hunting is so great and that we enjoy it so much is because we were able we just it was such a challenge and we paved our own way Mm -hmm. and like we learned Mm -hmm. things here and there but that's like the the freedom I think that hunting gives guys like that is like we've just embraced the challenge and taken it full
3: on and certainly it's not like we've figured it out by any means but Mm -hmm. yeah oh I mean I remember the days of like I think it was only once or twice. Like I shot a buck early in archery season in Pennsylvania, and then it was like, oh, "Shit, I'm done." Like, what? Mm-hmm. Do I, like, what do I do? You know? And it's just like that mindset is so foreign to me now. Whatever, twenty years later, that it's like, oh, like it's
2: yeah, it's not even close it's to a being good, done. It's a good one though. Like when you know you have other opportunities. Like when I killed this buck, yeah, what, dude, I was on top of the world because I was like done. Yeah, I did what I wanted to do, and I had more coming. Yeah. But if it was the only state that I had to do, yeah, it would have run me crazy. Well, but I've always got guys that I'm kind of, like, guiding Getting as well, through. Kind mm-hmm. of, like, on our property. I'm like, cool. Well, I still can – I can still be camp chef. I can still run cameras. Mm-hmm. I can move stands. I put my yeah. dad on a nice buck last year. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun for me.
3: Yeah. But, um, it is yeah. interesting just kind of how that, that eats you up on, on that side. And so that's kind of, I guess, massive full circle. But, like, when you talk about now having, like, a third tag, essentially, a third buck tag in Iowa, like – you literally can piece together a full year of hunting in Iowa without ever being tagged out. You know, yeah. we, we can in Ohio or Pennsylvania, like we're tagged and yeah. out. Like you got to move that's on. That's why we have other States. So we got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's at least what I tell yeah, my I, wife. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah we're well,
2: just, just one inward <laughs> dust. Can, well, you can, can only get one I can, tag. I can only get one. I mean, like, what do you want me to do? Well, but then, yeah, of course I'm going to North Dakota too. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean?
0: Yeah yeah exactly no there's there's nothing better than taking it the full season too i mean i have three buck tags I'd, i've i never used all three in a season that i don't anticipate that happen very often anyways but it's uh it's nice to know it's there and you can at least keep going to the tree knowing that there's a chance well,
2: well we're coming out to see it in two years two years Maybe we'll have see the you, but we're coming to iowa in a couple of years two years we'll have the points. what do we have three points yeah
0: we five yeah three right now we're yeah. working towards it
3: yeah, getting, it's amazing.
0: Uh, I I know guys with five points that didn't draw this year. I mean, obviously it depends on the zone, but gosh, yeah. it's, we got that creep is maybe getting three years real. Then.
3: We got chopped out of Kansas this year. Still kind of stings. Yeah, that one hurt. Yeah. I think it's Jeremy's yeah. fault. I, no, dude. I was seven years six six. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was bound to not draw eventually, and <laughs> no. I, we were
2: all in the same group. You you're yeah. one for three, two for five, three for five, and three for five, three for
3: five. All right. Yeah, it sucks. yeah so
2: we're gonna try illinois this year instead we, yeah southern illinois yeah there's like 300,000 acres of shawnee national forest uh, along with some other state forest yep. ground and stuff We've got some small leases there too so we're still gonna take a week we got a airbnb out there we got the same group of guys we're just gonna go mobile deer give her a mobile shot. deer camp yeah we're going out in two weeks to hang a bunch of cameras and you know observe what we can it's uh it's actually be there. the whitetail properties meeting Mm-hmm. we'll be out there for that mm-hmm. and uh so we'll do some scouting and then we'll come back the second week in november so we're going to try
1: yep
3: yeah it will be pretty awesome. cool what uh what do you think you're going to hunt most so you said you got when did you pick up the new piece this year
0: no this is the the property i bought in 2017 oh with, yeah, yeah with mike
1: yep yeah
0: our river farm Yep. um so yeah i obviously spend a lot of time there um my my hunting situation is is so unique with regards to my permission you know i i have permission on a few different farms and a lot of them are in the same landowner but he runs like a small scale outfitting business if you want to call it that but a lot of his buddies and stuff from out east when they draw tags they come so my permission is dictated by how many people draw what zones they draw, from, like which farms mm, okay. they draw from so i get moved around all the time as far as which perm, which properties I can at least buck hunt.
3: Gotcha. So,
0: um, I I don't really know which one I'll end up on yet. So I don't really know how much time I'll spend there. Mm. Um, depending on which deer around, but that's just kind of, they're, they're really good farms. It just, there's a lot of hunters that come in and I usually just give them dibs on wherever they want to go. And the reason I have permission to hunt those farms is because I help him, uh, with the business side of it. So I, set up cameras and stands and take his hunters out and provide them trail and intel and, and all that other stuff which is nice. which is fun it's, it's it's pretty cool you know with guys that are coming from these states where their first experience hunting in iowa and it's a dream hunt for a lot of those guys so it's, it's cool to help with that
3: yeah that's a good trade-off did uh well you guys should have some pretty good bucks on the river farm this year right
0: yeah, it's, that's amazing. That farm just keeps producing. Um, but yeah, we have some, some good deer that we're looking forward to. And it's not a giant farm. It's, you know, a little over 200 acres. Um, but we, I bet we have, I don't know, six or seven mature deer that should be around that's this year. That's the
2: right 200 acres. I, I'm curious to know. Yeah. And like, uh, don't worry, he'll never watch this podcast. <laughs> What's it like, uh, like going up, going on a co on a piece of property with, uh, with, with Mike. Or just just anybody.
0: Um, it's good. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of challenges to owning a piece with anyone. I mean, I think that's that's pretty obvious. You have to find the right person, and even Mike and I don't always have the same goals. The one the one really important thing I think is you have to both be able to put in the amount of work and time on the property. You know, that's the to me that's the thing that I see or hear stories about ruining those type of deals quicker than anything is one guy puts in all the effort, but everyone reaps the rewards from that. Uh, fortunately Mike and I both put a ton of time and effort and resources into that property that that's not an issue for us, but you, you still come across little things, whether or not, um, cause Mike and I hunt for different reasons as do everyone, you know, so whether or not you want to shoot a certain buck or let it go, or. You know, hunting time is another big one. He has a career, I have a career and, you know, trying to coordinate hunting time and schedules on a 200 acre property that can't really take a ton of pressure is always a challenge every year too. So we go back and forth on what the best strategy is there. So there's, there's challenges and we probably don't talk about that enough on the show. You know, I think everyone probably thinks it just looks like it just works really well, but there's definitely challenges. Um, But for the most part, I think Mike and I have a pretty good situation relationship worked out to, to make it work. That's
3: cool, man. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, it's a business relationship. Like, and, you know, it's it's a partnership at that. And so it is, I mean, owning land is a very emotional thing in it, in its own right. As is hunting. Yeah, and then to share that with someone is, you know, can be difficult. So, yeah, it, it's cool to to hear that it from is, you. It is
2: interesting. And I suppose I know it's interesting. But to hear you say that it's we should talk about it more, like, so should we. You know, we yep. and we do, like, from time to time, Um, I, have certain I've been living in that for a long time with, where I hunt is a family farm that my parents own in Eastern Central Ohio. And we've got five or six guys. Um, the only one that I've, you know, brought to the table is, is Corey, Mm -hmm. who's a good friend of mine who's coming to Illinois with us, but it's my dad, my uncle, who I said was kind of an inspiration for me, a good friend of his and a good friend of my dad's and, yeah, it's a thousand yeah. acres, but a lot of it's old <clears> pasture ground, and it kind of hunts like four hundred. And yeah. so we've certainly had our you know fair share of headbutting, and we some of us hunt for very different reasons, like the the, right. all, the full spectrum. Um, but even you know more recently, as Jeremy and I have hunted more together and gotten more uh, leases, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, you and I have never had. I don't think any conflict on, on any of those properties, but as we've started to bring new people in that we're working with like Corey and mm-hmm. your dad and mm-hmm. whoever else, like I still don't think there's any conflict,
3: but it, there is an element of having yeah, to figure be, out well, I mean, who, even, who gets to hunt when and how do we even Corey and my dad, like, yeah. I mean, they have different standards of a buck than we will yeah. wherever we're at, yeah. you know, and that's just how it is, which I don't care. Like kill what you, kill what you want. I think we're both in that mindset at least, but sure um
0: yeah Yeah, i think the one thing that helps our situation too is we it's not the only place we both hunt right Right. that's a big
2: one (laughs) one. well dude that's just like deer hunting man man. the reason that there's conflict at all is because there's a limited resource that we're all vying for and we're all doing it for different resources
3: yeah that's a huge point frankly
2: that is why we went out and started looking for other leases and places to hunt is because i got so frustrated with my situation because it was my only that's all Mm -hmm. i had and when my best Mm two-year-old got shot or whatever it was just so it was yeah, then what do you
3: have? Yeah, you're just waiting for the next. Yeah. So hunt. that's a great point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's probably the best advice I'd give someone, it's probably not possible to find, you know, a clone of yourself as far as why you are <laughs> sure. not and the this type of stuff you do, but the the as close of a like minded person you can with similar goals. Yeah. That's really the only way that situation works.
2: That certainly helped us. I know that Yeah, so I, I don't know. Like I, I definitely share things with those guys that we hunt with on mm-hmm. on our farm and i appreciate them for the reason that they hunt I, it's great um but i think yeah. we, you and i as far as as hunting goes like we have a very similar mentality and like we freaking agree
3: about a lot mm-hmm. of stuff not everything certain mm-hmm. definitely not no but, but that's how it's supposed to be but that does help <laughs> i yeah. think if you agreed about everything we'd be fighting over the same spot probably we still might i would <laughs> Do you, uh, Jared, just to ask, do you, Mike, have an agreement together on that? Of like when you set, did you set that up as like a partnership or like an LLC? An LLC, yeah.
0: Both 50% owners of the LLC. Cool. Yeah, it, but it, like I said, it's nice because I have permission farms, and then yeah, he owns man. a bunch that's, of other farms. So that's it's uh
3: yeah, Mike's Just he owns a bunch of other farms, you know. Just, <laughs> well, that's there's good. your bargaining,
2: yeah. Mike, Mike. I think this farm over yeah. here is pretty good. Are He's you sure? A, did you yeah. check
3: that camera? Because it could be. I'll be over it on the river.
2: I'll be on the river farm. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll just I'll just yeah. go. there. Is, is the river farm where you guys have like um, DAC? Is that where that buck's at? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, DAC and the Merino buck, yeah. and that's where the that prodigy. Buck was it, that died in the river. Like it's been, we owned it crazy, since man. we closed all November third of twenty seventeen. So that's that's all that we've owned. And I mean, there's been some really good deer.
2: How old is Moreno at this point? He'd be like seven or eight, right?
0: Yeah, he should be. At, well, our best guess, of course, but eight and a half, I think. Jeez. That's
3: How, what have you guys? um I guess besides planting and stuff, have you guys done any other work to that? Uh, that that you think has kind of led to some of the significant improvements, or what you're seeing. I mean, because that's a lot of mature bucks. Now, given they're using it at different times, but still on 200 acres to have those bucks in use at some point, that's that's substantial.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course we've done little things, but I, I'd be lying if I said that it's because of our hard work that created this. I mean, it's just it's just one. Of you, every once in a while, you come across these properties that are just producers, and they just they replenish themselves in this this has been that type of property and it's on the river, which I love river corridors for that very reason. I think you get a lot more new bucks and and that type of stuff in that environment. But, um, we've done certain things. I think more than anything, we've learned how to hunt it. Um, it's, I won't say it's an easy property to hunt, but we've learned the things to do and not do and, and where the hotspots are and, and all that things that come along with owning the property for a couple of years um some of the smaller projects we've done we struggle getting food uh to grow down there because we always end up getting flooded, getting flooded. or yep. whatever um this year fingers crossed is looking pretty good so far we should have a good food source but i don't think that's a, a major reason that farmer's been good because it's been good on the years that we didn't have food too um, we're trying to increase the the amount of quality cover you know there's really good cover this time of year with all the canary grass and stuff like that but there's a lot of that open wetland area that's kind of wasted acreage uh during the fall so we're trying to encourage we planted some native grasses in 2018 and we're finally getting to the point where their their quality stand of native grasses for bedding uh, we've planted some this off season went in there and planted some willow tree cuttings you know propagate some willow mm-hmm. trees to try to create a little more cover there in some wasted space. So trying to do that, trying to increase the holding power. I think there's a lot of bucks that use that property. I, I wouldn't say there's a lot of them. It's a smaller number that call it home right, all season. You know, it's just a, it's a good, uh, it's a good property as far as buck coming in and finding does and that type of stuff.
2: Do you know any of the neighbors or what that situation looks like?
0: We know a few of them. Um, and they see a lot of the same bucks we do in general. They're not, I wouldn't say they're on the same quote unquote management level as Mike and I are, but they do a, a pretty good job. They don't go in and kill everything. And there's with the river on once the one whole long side of our farm, you know, it's a little bit limited access. There's a lot of ag fields around, so you can't get real close to our property, which is a good thing. There's, there's essentially, well, now Mike just bought the last year, bought the, adjoining 338 acres so it's actually a 560 acre section tied up there mike owns that south half um but so there's only only one side of the farm that neighbors can hunt the fence line i guess um but even them you know they he texted me a few times when he'd see marina last year and you know they're 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 good guys you can't it could be a lot worse for sure that's awesome did
2: did you say that both you and mike have careers outside of midwest whitetail or just mike
0: uh, just my, I mean, I consider my job to be more than hunting as well, but
1: yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike,
0: Mike does not work for Middle Slice. So like Mike's thought, a no.
3: chiropractor, right? Or, or what?
0: he's an ENT. ENT. Yeah. That's right. mm-hmm.
3: e- Ear, nose, N-T, throat. N-T, not E-N-T. Ear, nose, throat. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yep. Ear, nose, throat. I used to be an EMT. Yeah. <laughs> Different, different type. Are you saying M? Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and me, Mike, so we're basically has, the same he... thing. Oh,
2: dude, I I don't know how this relates, but I, this just came to mind. There's a guy at my old gym who's an amputee. He's got, yeah. a, and he's a young guy, like you know, yeah, in shape. I, I think he's a a veteran. And uh Jared just pretense for the story. If you don't know, I'm missing a finger because I my wedding ring ripped it off. So I'm also an amputee. I did not know that. And I, He's missing a leg. I'm just like, I don't know uh, why I would have thought it was funny. And I just don't know what the guy's sense of humor was, but yeah. I wanted to go up to him and be like, dude, I got it. The like, struggle yeah. is real. Yes. <laughs> yeah, same boat, bro. <laughs> he
3: might not have thought it was funny. Maybe just keep an eye on his uh, character for the next yeah, couple of you days. You and me,
0: dude, we're like the same, same, yeah. same guy. Same, same. <laughs> yeah, real relatable there. Uh-huh.
3: Did you guys have any oh. uh, inclination that that farm was going to be that good when you were buying it or, or i guess what, what were the research because i i'm i'm always buying land or at least i want to buy more land um <laughs> it, like i'm trying to do as much research and now it's really tough right because this shit goes so fast anymore like i don't know if people even think about it before they pull the trigger but mm-hmm. like what kind of research did you guys do when the property came up for sale or you heard it somebody might be willing to sell it i guess kind of just give us a little history on that
0: yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast that, that process was and how fast everything transpired. Uh we were looking at at land. Uh we just kind of really in the beginning stages, I would say, at that point, but we had talked to a buddy who, Ben Harshine, you may yeah, know him yeah, with Properties Ontario. Yep. Um you know, he's he's local here and we we told him that we are interested in keep us in mind if anything came up and that was right when Ben was starting his real estate career. He was very, very new uh, at that point. And so I'm sure his client list or, you know, people he was Mm -hmm. looking for land for was pretty small. So we were really lucked out there, but this property came up and Ben sent it to us. I think he, I want to say he met with the landowner, like on a Sunday, sent it to Mike and I on a Monday, Tuesday, we were out there looking for it. You know, Wednesday, I think we went back and, um, talk to the bank, Thursday, submit an offer, Friday, accepted offer. This is all before it hit <laughs> the Whitetail Properties website or marketing or anything. So wow. if it, if we didn't move along that fast, you know, unfortunately we were ready. We were already looking at yeah, properties. It would have been gone. Um, yeah. It would have been gone as soon as it hit that website or, you know, Whitetail Properties marketing power. So we were very, very fortunate there, but with regards to like the research and that part of your question, uh, that property had a good track record with the previous lander. The previous lander was, a uh, he was an older guy and he, he only, uh, tr- did traditional hunting. So he hunted with his recurve, uh, on the property and, and killed some really good deer, killed like a two Oh five or something. Mm, yeah, that's and good. There was, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's enough right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's we went to his house actually and he showed us sheds and trail cam pictures and all that type of stuff. And so it had a really good track record, but again, it it also fit in my mind what a good producing property was being a river corridor property. It had a really good mix of of different terrain, had a good chunk of timber. And then the kicker for me from a financial standpoint was one, obviously I had a partner paying 50% of it, but two, a lot of the farmers in WRP, the wetland reserve program. So that, If you're not familiar with that, that basically is a one-time payout to the landowner that enrolls it in that, which was the previous landowner. So we don't get any income on that property, but it drives the cost significantly down. So a guy like myself that was really just looking for a recreational property, it didn't have to have income for me to make it work. That price per acre was really, really affordable. So that, that was the big thing for me.
3: That's interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't. I didn't even think about that payout being a depreciation on the actual value of the the property when it goes mm-hmm. back on market. Sure. It'd be like anything else too. Like if you have an easement for anytime there's a yep. one time payout up front. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Property values down. Yeah, down. but
3: I mean, in our case, like I don't care. Like I mean, if that's just exactly. gonna be in WRP and it's gonna be just thick, whatever. What else am I gonna do with it? Like right. That's fine. If I get it for a better pricing, because sure. it's probably what a 20 year is it a 20 year on that.
0: No, it's a lifetime. Is
3: it a lifetime for WRP? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think they used to have a 20 year, but I think they got rid of it, but that, that one's, that one's a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, a lifetime easement. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it depends on what your goals are. If you need to, penciled out to where it has income to help sure. pay for the property, then that's one thing, but uh, for us, we are just looking for a hunting farm and that, mm-hmm. that really met our needs and of course there's a limit to what we could resell it for if we went to yeah, go do that yeah yeah, we can make some money on it just by showing how good the hunting is but you know there's a there's also a limit to that a wrp farm so, so, do you, so do you and mike
2: both have i guess equal opportunity to that's a single landowner tag that gets issued correct but i assume he's taking his on the other properties he owns
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so we this was an issue that came up because we we had some multiple conversations. <laughs> this this with, was an issue that DNR. came up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't an issue we we were aware of right in the beginning, right? You know, we yeah we thought it was fine because I could get it's the only parcel I own, and it's based on parcel numbers. So you right. I could get mine on that parcel, and he could get his wherever, and then you can use it State. on any property you own. Yeah. So technically, we could both use our landowner tags on that property. Cool. Um, So we had, you know, that issue had come up a couple of times. I think viewers would send in or whatever and be like, how are they able to do that? Which we haven't, haven't had that issue. Neither one of us have used both our landowner tags on that farm. I don't think yet. Um, But we, we had a conversation with the DNR in, in Des Moines and they said, no, you guys are, you guys are doing it by the rule of the law. You guys are doing it the right way. You can, you can get a landowner tag on any parcel you own. Or you can get it on any certain single parcel, but that can be used on any property you own.
2: So how many bucks have you guys ended up taking off that farm so far?
0: Um, or, or
2: rattle them off, you know what they are?
0: So first year was a, a deer we called Gronk, really, oh,
2: yeah. definitely yeah. the
0: oldest deer on the farm. That's the straight down, um,
2: straight down deal?
0: yeah yeah i
3: remember that one
0: mike and i switched in the tree because i I wasn't ready to put my tag on that deer yet and so we switched in the tree and he came by like right after daylight in the morning we hung this day in the dark so that was the first year That was the only deer we killed on that property in 2017. 2018 i don't think we killed anything in 2018. that was when we i I moved away middles whitetail the business moved to des moines so we had to relocate so i didn't get back hunted as much mike was hunting some of his other properties and other deer and uh 20 so and that was also the year that flooded so 2018 we didn't kill anything 2019 we uh we stacked them up in 2019 yeah. <laughs> i was just i was talking and finally realized you guys weren't moving so i was yeah it was weird dude. Was just,
3: so we lost uh we lost you right when you were getting into 2019 yeah. i think you said we were stacking them up
0: yep yeah, so twenty nineteen, we uh, that was our strongest year on that property. October twenty seventh, Mike killed um, that buck we called Todd Gurley. Yeah, um, it, like mid seventies deer, yeah. I think. And then a few days later, November first, I killed a buck we called Andrew Luck. Uh, snowy November first morning uh, kind of back in what we call our peninsula back in the the big section of hardwoods on that, on that property with, we, we have basically 60 acres on the farm that is not in WRP. So that's that big timber section. We are hunting back in there. I've had, had really good hunts. It's in the big peninsula of the river. And then a few days later, November 5th, uh, was Mike, when Mike killed that prodigy buck, that 200 inch deer. So in a span of from October 27th to November 5th, we killed those three bucks on that property, and then and that's the time, late season man. Mike missed Mike missed Marino with the with the muzzleloader. So we Jeez. almost killed Marino that year too.
2: How old do you think that? Uh, how old do you think that 200 was? Uh,
0: Four. <sighs> Me too. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's just a crazy score in deer. Yeah. It was a monster. He's built
3: for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, it's one of those things, if, if it sounds, what were you talking about, the Prodigy buck? Yeah, yeah,
3: Prodigy being four, which...
0: Yeah, so it sounds crazy to say this, but if, if there were such a thing as a basket rack 200-inch deer, that was it. <laughs> I mean, it was just, he just had so many tines, and it was, just, it was just a small, compact frame. Like, it was, it was unbelievable how the potential that deer to to had to be like a 230 240 plus you never know but um it was just unbelievable that deer's frame
3: Do you, have you seen any deer that look like that genes kind of continued in from a young standpoint
0: not like that no yeah. um we have good genetics on that farm a lot of a lot of like 6 point sides and um like split brows and just overall really good genetics there but nothing i mean i think a deer like that is just a kind of a freak
3: yeah freaking nature
2: had you guys had a discussion about like i mean i've heard both you and mike say i think like well we try to get them to five had you had that discussion about that deer specifically yeah
0: we had a little bit and that was one of those things i mean it everyone you know has their own reasons for hunting or what you know has different goals in mind and I, I, to be honest, I did want to pass that deer and I think Mike was on that page for a little while, but it, you know, he had an encounter with them and it's hard. I mean, it's hard for anybody to pass a deer of that caliber, especially a a smaller farm, a neighborhood you have questions about as far as, I mean, we, we found out after the fact, there's a lot of people hunting that deer and knew about that deer and we're going to kill that deer that year. So there's a a pretty high likelihood we probably wouldn't even had them around to beat to hunt s5 but i was under the mindset of i w- if i killed him i would kick myself <laughs> never knowing what he would have done and, yeah. and so that's kind of where i based my decision but um i had told mike like if you want to kill him kill him um so that was it was that was one of those things where just a little bit of difference of opinion there but um would
2: have been, been, been a real shame if he did shoot him and then it floated away down the river Mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah no. Would, never to be seen again it went
0: it went through our heads trust me <laughs> i mean that I, I i'm sure we didn't do it justice on the video but it, that the way that all transpired was just unreal i mean it, it, it felt like a surreal experience just tracking and seeing that blood go down the steep bank and into the water and just being like
1: you yeah, know that's far nuts. and away
0: the biggest deer mike's ever shot in his life and here we are looking at this flowing river with basically no direction on where he went or where to go and how we can. Wow, if, it is. Hard. If he didn't get caught in that brush pile, who knows where he would have yeah, went? Yeah, really.
2: It's hard to read Mike sometimes. Like when I watched that, <laughs> when I watched that hunt, I was like, I think he's excited. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's just like, yeah, he's like, he's like, this is an amazing deer. He's like, this is two, probably two hundred inches.
3: It's, it's, it's right.
2: big. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Big.
0: Yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable deer for sure. And I think, I think he's probably. A pretty killable deer being a four-year-old you know on our farm it's a little bit easier to hunt on that farm but i think he would have been very killable for neighbors throughout the year especially sure. as the season went on and yeah. gun season started coming in and stuff like that have you guys had any bucks
3: on that farm that kind of disappeared you're not sure what happened like the burning questions of like man i wish i knew what happened to, uh, yeah
0: yeah especially that first year that first year of ownership 2017, we had some really good hunts, encountered a lot of good, solid, mature deer, and very few of them came back in 2018. That was probably the year where most, where we lost the most deer. I say lost, I just lost track of them or don't know what happened to them. But um, yeah, there was a number of deer that we were hunting that year that just never showed back up. And we've had a few of those every year, it seems like. So Hmm. it's kind of, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of ways as we know that whitetails can die. Um, but I'm sure a lot of it's just neighbors killed them. And we just never hear about it.
2: Sure. Do you think maybe a percentage of that was EHD? I know that Duncan was telling telling us 2018 was kind of a rough one for it.
0: Could have been, we never found any on that property. You know, we don't have the stereotypical locations as far as, you know, the, we have the river of course we don't have a lot of like ponds and Mm -hmm. stuff like that we have a few little duck holes um that can potentially produce that but uh, we haven't really found any i don't think we found a single ehd deer on that farm since we've owned it
3: that's awesome man yeah that's a that's a big relief it is funny man And, and jared and i talk about this from an opportunity standpoint but you know you can have access to a bunch of land but it it often comes down to you just need the right piece of ground. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. That'll make yeah, all and the it, difference.
0: Especially across the country. <clears throat> but even here in Iowa, that's true. But I would say there's not very much ground in Iowa, especially you look at Southern half that doesn't have the potential to be really good. If you <laughs> have the right neighborhood, Sure, um, the right neighborhood and the right, the, right, the amount of cover makes a, a big difference too, but it seems like everywhere in Iowa has the potential if you set it up right.
3: Yeah, for sure.
2: It seems like it's going to take us more and more years to draw every year. <sighs> like when we're one point closer, but it's in that much higher demand.
0: I Man, it seems like it's like that everywhere. I've been putting in for. Arizona elk for the last six or seven years, me and Drew Yarkoski, which were drew the tag right away, but we're <laughs> all applying for the same units there. Um, And now I'm up to six or seven points. Now the same units that were supposed to be like eight to 10 year hunts when we first started, they're now like 20 year hunts.
2: That's <laughs> crazy. So like, Good
0: to know. My dad yeah, and I, mean, I-, I feel like it's like that everywhere.
2: My dad and I are two in.
3: You got a ways Doing. to go. <laughs> how, how old are you? <laughs> how old are you? Yeah, Thirty-three.
2: Thirty-three. Yeah, I'm Twenty-eight. So you took a good time. We just started. I mean, a couple of years putting in for tags and stuff, and I'm yep. trying. I'm trying to pioneer that for a lot of. us. So I got Jeremy putting in for. I Wyoming. Of and co- we put in Colorado mule deer. I mean,
3: I I love mule deer honey. I'm sure I'd love elk hunting. I just man, I'm just a white tail guy. This is what I am.
0: I, can't say it, it, if you I don't knowledge. know why I thought of this, but one one of our uh, interns from last year, his name's Chase, and uh, instead of you know putting money towards a college fund or anything like that, his dad just applied for points ever since he was little.
1: Oh my so God, he's got it! He's got an,
0: Unbelievable amount of points in all these states. He hasn't really used them yet, but he's got like fifteen points here, eighteen points here. Like it's (laughs) wow. He can basically go on whatever. I better better
3: start selling my wife on that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) what what a what a legacy to leave for your kid. Holy cow!
0: Seriously, yeah, that's you better hope you better hope they want to hunt at first of all. But that's like something you make a
3: movie. College is so overrated. (laughs) Uh, that's yeah. very cool i've got 15 points in new yeah. mexico Didn't get, don't have a <laughs> yeah, don't have an education or a career but i sure can go hunting <laughs> yeah. well that's
0: good because you're yeah. unemployed <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i can't afford to go on any hunts. i have points for <laughs> yeah oh uh,
0: that's funny man. no it's it's pretty cool i was i was jealous when he used to, and maybe it wasn't in, in place of a college run maybe it was in place of i don't know it was something That's as he smart, grew up man. birthday gifts or something but, i mean
3: there's a good way to to try to get somebody engaged from a young from a young age is like hey you know at some point you're gonna have all these cool places yeah. to go make adventures out of what a shame if he doesn't like to hunt yeah can he transfer
0: this <laughs> yeah. well but seriously though you know if you if you if, as we're talking about the points creep you know if you don't start until you're 18 20 25 or whenever yep. you can start to afford to buy hunting tags and stuff you're almost too late if you're looking at 10 15 20 year draws and especially a a physically challenging hunt you know if you're not going to draw to your 45 50 it might be too late yeah so that's pretty cool
3: it is nuts to think about it i mean that's where like like it's awesome to have over-the-counter stuff in illinois or ohio or kentucky you know kansas for uh, at least at this point seems like it's going to be in every yeah. other year which sucks you know it was a almost a guarantee every year six years ago now it's probably in every other yeah it's just you just got to find the yep.
2: opportunity where it, it just isn't what it was you know it's just different
3: mm-hmm. yeah
2: and i think there will be cycles of that like i don't think the demand for one thing will always be that to the mm-hmm. extreme like it'll it'll probably yeah. fluctuate as other things get found out and
3: sure who
2: knows like You know, 20 years from now, you might be able to hunt Iowa every two years because everybody's mule mule, mule deer hunting in North Dakota or something, like, whatever. Probably not, but. Probably (laughs) probably not. Maybe. Nice, nice thinking.
3: Don't ruin on Jared's parade.
2: Cool. Well, I hope we don't lose you here, Jared. I know we're a little spotty, but you want to talk bows for a little bit? So, Jared, you're shooting the new RX-5, as are we. Mm Mm-hmm uh we were talking a little bit before the podcast sounds like you love it as much as we do and i had to cut myself off i was going to start asking about arrow weights and what kind of speed you're getting out of that and um but maybe let's just talk a little bit about we all have the same bow so let's talk about our bow builds and why we build them the way we did and we'll let you kind of go first
0: yeah um so i have the rx5 and i was telling you this jared but it's funny I, I feel like every year and i don't upgrade bows every year that i hadn't had one in a couple of years but this is by far the best ball i've ever shot and i I know i've said that multiple times it's just amazing that in the world where we have so many companies building so many good bows that they can still find little ways to improve them it, I've, I've always been amazed by that um but I, I love this rx5 i unfortunately haven't had as much time as i want to to really shoot it and get dialed in. i kind of got it set up good enough for Turkey season and haven't messed around with it too much yet, but I'm, um, uh, I'm working on potentially a new arrow set up this year. And so I'm, I'm wanting to wait until I get that all figured out before I really start to, to dial in and, and shoot uh, really often. So, um, love the bow. It's, I think, um, the biggest improvement that I noticed from the RX three, it's a lot it's smoother in a draw cycle, but it's also really dead in your hand. I really like the, just that feeling of it um after the shot um but yeah it's a it feels really good the balance i think they did a really good job with the balance and the wave with the, the new short stabilizer they include with the bow it feels really good even out of the box um yeah it, it's just a it's a sweet bow it's it's yeah. it's the best bow that i've ever shot and I, I know i keep saying that but it's it's amazing how how nice and sweet shooting it is
2: it's interesting to hear you say about the uh the hand chalk because uh, so we just got ours what Three four weeks ago, three weeks, ago, three weeks yeah. ago, and so I'd been watching a bunch of reviews from guys that got them in January, February, and uh, it didn't seem to be the consensus from uh, a hand talk standpoint. Against the Ventum, a lot of them were saying the Ventum was more dead in the hand, and that the the RX five was not notably so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I I tend to be on that side of things. Like I, it's not a it's not nearly enough that I have any complaint about it. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. I it's not like it bothers me, but like if I if I were to think about it, like, yeah, okay, I feel it. It frankly it doesn't feel any different. So you upgraded from the RX three, which is a pretty recent model, obviously, and I upgraded from the Clay carbon, carbon yeah. spider, which is like the gen 20, one of the genesis 14, of fifteen that, model that realm yeah. of the carbon series. And like I, I would say granted, I haven't gone back and shot that bow since, mm-hmm. but just going from old to new seems pretty similar in terms of hand shock. Yep. But lots of other things are very different. And I, think I thought it's a draw, much better draw bill,
3: cycle was a big one. What's
2: well, a different cam? Yep. It's so a new cam from
3: the RX four. Yep. So I, I thought that was a big, a big piece of it.
2: I think Jared might be frozen, but
3: <laughs> I think he's
0: just disappointed.
3: <laughs> he's just really fixated on my, uh, <laughs> I think he's just dis- my take on the you're thing. disappointed in your, uh, your opinion of yeah, the, <laughs> well, I'll tell you until he comes.
2: Back. I'll tell you until he comes back on it. Yeah. The hand shock is, is whatever, but I do definitely agree with what Jared was saying about the the stability mm-hmm. uh, the, I, I, I think it's a, a huge advantage that they've taken a stabilizer and lowered it.
3: I think, yeah, that's an inner, I mean, nobody else has made that move, right?
2: N- not that I know of. Um, I don't know what it is, maybe like a, a four to five inch difference yep. where they've taken the stabilizer Whoa. mount placement from directly beneath the hand grip, which it is still there and mm-hmm. you still can use that. And they've moved it down to just above the lower limb pocket. Mm-hmm. And I think that's done two things: is it lowers that center of gravity, which is n- very noticeable, mm-hmm. um, especially if I've got a quiver up top. Yeah, the more weight a lot I of have top up top. Heavy. And it also elongates, essentially, this, the stabilizer because yep. it sticks out further than that part of the riser by mm-hmm. probably three, three four, inches, three, four yeah. inches. Yeah. So, not only that, but what else did Jared say that he was that he liked about it?
3: Uh, draw on it. The draw
2: cycle because yeah. of that new cam, I yep. agree. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet. I think
3: the one thing that, again, kind of, you know, beating the dead horse a little bit is like, you know, I'm coming off of shooting Matthews for the last few years. um, And I, I consistently just complained about how heavy that boat was. Not like yeah. to the point, like I killed a lot of animals. With you're, them. you're late on that big improvement,
2: Yeah, unfortunately. Well, but it's the same weight. Right. Well, that's what I mean. The RX fours were, I think pretty a, a lot lighter than the rx5 yeah
3: but even at the rx5 level like it just the balance on it feels mm-hmm. lighter mm-hmm. which is just a weird thing to think about because it's literally same bow just same weight yeah yeah agreed yeah feels feels good in the hand
2: i've got mine um pretty pretty much built so here here's one thing that uh i mean it's it's not Hoyt's fault it just is what it is it's so they, they had an awesome uh, quiver design, mm-hmm. and so this applies to the RX-5, not necessarily Correct. the Ventum because of the riser positioning. Mm-hmm. Is that Jared texting you? He didn't try to reset his connection real quick. Cool. Yeah, I think Jared's just got a spotty spotty internet connection we're working on. But, um, but where I'm going with that is they came up with a quiver design that worked really well for the RX-5, and they, they manufactured whatever, a certain amount of them, and distribute them to, to retailers and yep. to bow shops and stuff. And uh, then they ran out. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoever, and
3: part of that, I think, is raw material
2: issues. It is. That's exactly what it is. Whoever was working with Hoyt to make those yep. quivers or their division, sounds like they ran out of equipment or it got pulled elsewhere into other industries and stuff. And uh, they're not making anymore. more. Mm. So this is, uh, sorry to put out, whoever's, you know, still mm-hmm. waiting to get theirs, but
3: like, you're not getting a quiver. Well, for RX 5. there are
2: some out there, you know, you need to call your bow shop because that's, who's got them. Some of the bigger retailers like Lancaster, mm-hmm. uh, have got them as well. But some of those guys have few uh, and far between, and you have to pick them up in store. So long story short, if you don't have a <laughs> quiver for your RX five, y- you need to get one now. And there's a very limited supply in the country that are out there. Um, if you're looking for the SL sidebar mount, which we are too, those are also out of stock, but they are making more of those. Those will be back in. And um, that's to get our rear stabilizer on. Towards the end of this month. So, so yeah, that's something that um, I made the transition to, what or that I'm deciding to this year, because I found out last year that I like shooting with my quiver on mm-hmm. uh, when we were mule deer yep. especially, because to try to take that off and throw it to the side is just not realistic. No. And definitely just having the weight of those arrows especially mine at 470 grains a piece i'm tilting a little, tilt. lean a little to the right so that i'm hoping that that sidebar around on the left hand side will counteract that and i feel pretty pretty good
0: about that build i like it there you go jared we'll try it sorry you're good man. <clears throat> i have no idea what's going on nah, that's fine hopefully we're good so yeah. Otherwise, I can try it just from took, my phone if I, just, I get kicked off again. No, I just took good. that
2: opportunity to
3: talk about me. So
0: Yeah,
2: talk
3: about his bow. They are, it it <laughs> is good. funny, though, man. I mean, just the, like you said, Jared, I guess kind of the where we are in technology and advancements that, you know, they can put out another bow that people will shoot and be like, damn, this is the best bow I've ever shot. Like, And, I mean, I guess that's the challenge to the engineers at, at Hoyt is like, all right, and how do we improve on last year's RX-4, you know, for an RX-5? I think, and we didn't get a yeah.
2: chance to talk about this earlier, uh, but you you touched on it was that lower center of gravity, by by lowering mm-hmm. the stabilizer. I, I think that that's probably one of the biggest improvements
3: that they made. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it feels more balanced, even though it's the same weight as my old Matthews. Yeah, maybe.
0: I think feels huge in today's bows. Again, we're talking about so many good bows, and then maybe minute differences, but. Feel and how it leads to the confidence in you shooting is huge. I think that's, that's so much that plays such a big part being confident on the range and the field. You know, I'm not one of these guys, you know, we can dive into this, but I'm not one of the guys that's an absolute guru with regards to my equipment and my arrow FOC and weights and all that stuff. I find what works and I try not to mess around with it too much. I I am messing around with my arrow setup a little bit just to try something new. Um, But for me, it's more about just being comfortable shooting. I I try to just even on the range, put myself in situations that reflect what I'm going to be doing in the field. So I focus more on that type of stuff rather than trying to make sure all my gears is absolutely perfect. You know, I just, I I think there's two schools of thought there, two, two good routes you can go. And I kind of just focus on the other side of it.
2: You want to give us a spiel on your
0: arrow build? So the one I'm I'm thinking about going a little bit smaller diameter. So I think I'm going to go from the five millimeter to the four millimeter. Um, I think this isn't all for sure yet. I what, think I'm going to go what to the four brand, millimeter what
2: brand. Is that Easton? Easton? Easton.
0: Okay. That's what I'm I'm thinking. I'm going to shoot a, again. I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I actually had a guy reach out to me. Um, I don't know. I think it was maybe earlier this year or something, but he, he, he is one of those arrow gurus. He does all kinds of testing and it's, it's been cool to kind of get his thoughts on different things with regards to arrow noise and, um forgiveness and all this type of stuff that unless you have a ton of time and equipment to test like he's yeah he's able to do that type of stuff so it's, it's good to learn from from guys that are really knowledgeable in that and so he and i've been talking quite a bit but uh i think i'm gonna go to the four millimeter eastons that have the the uh, aluminum outsert on it um is that and a then carbon potentially- arrow?
2: that's not the full metal jacket still right
0: uh, uh, I'm sorry. The axis, so it's the carbon. Yeah, eastern axis, not 4 the, not the. Yeah, the eastern axis, four millimeter. Uh, I did shoot the the FMJs, the full metal jacket ones, Me back in probably 2012, 2013. Yep. That's and, when, and, whenever and they were a good arrow for sure too. No,
2: <laughs> I don't think so. Well, Whatever. Well, here's why. When you guys started shooting them, that's when I was like, oh, dude, I'm I'm going to do that too. It makes sense. Yeah. And to be honest, you I, you guys probably. Pioneered along with Easton, that's when a lot of the industry started to take notice of like arrow weight. And yeah, arrow. It, was the, it was right. the first time a lot of guys weren't shooting like uh, the Carbon Blue Streak 350s, like with yeah. the, we all shot mm-hmm. for. Yeah, the Maximos and stuff. And we're like, oh, <laughs> you can add weight to your arrows. You can do that. Yeah. What I dislike about the Full Metal Jackets is that they're just heavy. Period. I don't think they're heavy in the right places. Um, I, I yeah. did shoot them. It's they're like 11.6 grains per inch. Um, which is cool. Like it was a heavy arrow, but I didn't really
3: gain any FOC. Well or, I don't which think, is momentum. I think that, that was the kind of stepwise incremental it learnings. Was. Right. It was like, okay, I don't need a super light, super fast arrow. Actually a heavier one has momentum. Then it was like, Oh, I need FOC, so I need heavy in the right place. Yeah. And it's just that evolution yeah. of and still I think there's a lot of people that don't know. They just pick up whatever for seven point four grains per inch and they're like throwing a right. hundred grain, you know. Right uh, dude, i think
2: 90 percent of bow hunters are shooting whatever the guy at the bow shop tells them to shoot
3: do you think a lot of those guys are talking about foc mm, my guess would be not no. i would say no they're, 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 they're probably cut, shooting no. whatever cutting arrows and profitable. putting standard inserts in they're yeah. not putting you know outserts on that which yeah. we are now so you're shooting the eastern
2: axis four millimeter do you have any idea what those weigh like per inch or total shaft
0: so i want to say they are 8.3 grains per inch on the the four millimeters Mm -hmm. um i think i think ballpark i'm gonna be around like 430 440 something like that total arrow weight are you putting a uh
3: weighted outsert in the front or insert
0: I'm not, if I go with those four millimeter ones, we've also talked about potentially doing like the, the Easton hex, which yeah is the, it's a larger diameter, but then potentially do a, a weighted insert on that one.
2: Yeah. I was looking at the Easton arrows for a while. Like we did a lot of research on arrows and I'm sure a lot has changed maybe. Uh, but was it two, three, three years ago?
3: 2018, 2019.
2: And I definitely looked at a bunch of the Easton arrows. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that I decided for our group i guess i i was doing a lot yeah. of the research we i found out i found a, a victory arrow that matched with an outsert system that i wanted to well, use well yours
3: yours was more specialized to most of ours because you were shooting yeah. heavy limbs that's what did it that increased poundage yeah. you couldn't I, shoot most of the arrows yeah the so,
2: spine so i had to shoot a 250 spine so, yep. I actually ended up with the Victory Vap 250s to compensate for that 80-pound weight. And I could probably shoot a 300 spine, but I'm also stacking weight at the front. And that was what And there isn't, it. Dude, none of these aero companies, maybe something you talk to Easton about is like, I don't think they've come out with a good chart I,
3: I used to, to shoot account Axis. for that weight at the end. That's all I shot. I shot Easton Axis. Yeah. I never jumped on the Carbon Express Maxima train. I sh- <laughs> Woo, yeah, woo. I, I didn't <laughs> jump on that. You just took a ride on the Carbon <laughs> Express. <laughs> yeah, I never jumped on that train. No. I was simply, I, I shot Easton Access until we yeah. moved to the victories, and that's what I'm shooting with the weighted up front. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is interesting because it, like, I feel like Gold Tip was kind of yep. a front runner there for a while. I mean, I know that they're still there, still but. Still are in components and, and stuff. components and stuff. But. Well,
2: all of them are starting to figure it out. I said Easton's come out with some stuff. Black Gold Eagle. Tip has. I don't know if Black Eagle has or not. Mm. Black Eagle to me has always been just like like the, the blue collar arrow, essentially. Maybe. I don't think they're quite there with. Uh, They've got a lot of. It's probably the same shaft, but in terms of components, I don't sure. think they're selling like a system. System.
0: I haven't shot them in person I've I've had people recommend them to me for Black sure Eagle. there's some there's some people that are big fans of, of Black Eagle just personally have not shot them
2: Aren't they the same It's a it's a Gold Tip arrow it's the same thing right
3: Uh I don't know I'm not sure if that's right yeah. or not I don't when it comes to differences in shafts I don't There's know. only a few manufacturers of arrows yeah. and then everybody else just brands them differently like Victory is one yeah. Easton is one I think Gold Tip is one and then I, maybe those are the three, and then everybody else just kind of white labels. So you're not putting any weight up front at all. Mm-mm. Why is that?
0: I think the with the well with the four millimeter ones, I think that that outsert is around fifty grains. Oh, okay. On, so on that that outsert, so that I mean that kind of serves that purpose. Yeah, so that's on what that you, that's I, what I'm using. Well, that is weight. Yeah,
3: that's, mine's yeah. What sixty five.
2: Something like that. Yeah. What are you shooting? Mine's
3: not that much more than it. I don't know what the outsert is exactly. It's like a. Mine's a sixty-five. That's all I'm using instead of an insert. It's just that sixty-five grain outsert yeah, already yeah. on it. And, yeah. 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 And my, it, dude, I, it makes a huge difference. It mine's like
2: between sixty-five and eighty-five. My, so I think we're. It sounds like we're similar in terms of like r- ratios. So yeah. You're shooting a sixty-five pound limbs to a four hundred and forty ish grain mm-hmm. arrow. I'm shooting 80 pound ones yeah. to a 470 with a 470. Yeah. But granted, most of mine is up front. What spine size are you shooting? 340s.
3: 340. Yep, which is
2: what that's I'm makes 340s. Sense. 340s. Yeah. Cool. That's what I'm on. What are you switching from, dude?
0: Just the five millimeter axis, Just which going I've down. shot for a long time.
3: Yeah. Just going down. It is uh, the one thing, if anybody's listening and hearing this, and like, don't overthink it. The weight up front, whether it's, to the extreme of what you're doing with an ethics, uh, dude,
2: I'm definitely not the extreme.
3: I, trust me, there are some guys <laughs> that are. It, you talk about
2: arrow sound and stuff. I've gone down the rabbit trail with the guys at ethics and stuff, yeah. and they're like, yeah. dude, they have forums online and stuff about like, listen, if you're shooting less than 600 grains, like you're a piece of crap, and, <laughs> and like, th- and a big a big component of that is their arrow sound. They're like, it doesn't matter how fast your arrow is going. All that matters is that it's like dead silent and. These are the same guys that are shooting the inch to bevel. Oh, the it's bevels. All, it's all about penetration. And, you know, frankly, I disagree. Warb
3: and Jake and those guys are probably on that floor. Are they? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Talking well, about well, the well, bevel? dude, we're shooting, we're hunting whitetails. You know, I don't need to yeah. penetrate through three rhinoceros <laughs> at, 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 <laughs> at a time. I build my, my bow and my arrows for maximum uh, momentum and penetration, and I'm shooting a broadhead, ideally, that has the... Uh, is tough enough to like withstand Mm -hmm. it, but I need a cutting surface to get it. I want to find blood. I need
3: blood. Yeah. And forgiveness, you know. I think, yeah, Yeah. I think that little bit of weight up front is a huge difference in terms of the consistency of the flight of that arrow. Like Mm -hmm. prior to just, and there is, there's probably a ton of guys who are just getting their arrows cut, standard inserts in it, throwing a 100-grain broadhead and fill point on it, and they're done. And it's they're not getting good flight out of there, especially with the increased speed that these bows are putting out. Yep. You know, you need that that FOC. What kind of speed are you getting?
0: To be honest, I don't even know.
3: I didn't put mine through uh, the chrono either. What was yours? Uh, <clears throat>
2: 301.
3: 301? That's fast. Yeah. I'm shooting 80 pounds. Not that much weight? it's a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Not time Yeah, I,
0: I'm, I'm not sure on that. And, and like you guys were saying before, there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down <laughs> yeah. with this. And I, and I, I think the FOC... Think makes a lot of sense and i i think we're it's kind of been a progression for us as an industry to get there the aero industry um again i just i think there's it's there's some personal preference there too but there's a there's a lot so. of different ways you go and I, I hate to overwhelm people i don't even want to get overwhelmed myself because it, it's easy yeah. to do i just what, sit up on the, sorry if April
3: i <laughs> i just sit, i just sit up on the ground level and look down the rabbit hole at jared and just see what he comes up with
0: yeah, seriously, it's it's crazy and it but but there's some guys that really really know their stuff and Yeah. Well, T-Bone uh, was who kicked probably, us kind
3: of off on it. Yep. We we had a long we just it was at an ATA, we just were shooting the shit with T-Bone and we started talking about weights and FOCs and it, I mean, he just brain dumped on it's, us and it was like, "Oh, the, the yeah, I that talk makes sense."
2: You guys like T-Bone and some of the guys from the bow shops like the, the foc and stuff like that it's not new like there's no. a lot of those old timers that were we're doing that. on the
3: double x 75s back yeah. in the day
2: it seemed like a yeah. lot of just marketing industry marketing hype and stuff that got us away from that to mm-hmm. to just speed these it was speed. speed everything
3: has been speed for the last mm-hmm. decade yeah you know that's that's what everything is surrounded is speed 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 and it's just like you know from a it doesn't matter but you're right jared as far as preference like man so I
2: I went against what I had like all these guys had told me in terms of more weight up front. And I I do think I lost ability for penetration, but I reduced my weight up front a little bit because I wanted more speed. I was getting like two eighty four.
3: And you went from what one hundred grain or one hundred twenty five to one hundred grain.
2: Yeah, and I changed the uh, the the exterior sleeve. Oh, okay. From like a thirty five, from like a seventy grain to like a thirty grain. It was pretty significant. So, in total, I shed like, I don't know, yeah, 65 to 80 grains or something Jeez. like that. You would have been and in the mid-500s. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was heavy. And so, now I still have, you know, quite a bit of weight up front, but I've got a fast arrow, and I, I get everything I need out of it. So.
3: Take fawns yeah. right so off So personal. Feet. Yeah.
0: I was, yeah. was going to say, so, personal preference, of course, is one, but also just experience, right? So, yeah. like, I could sit here and say, my arrow hits where it wants to hit. I've never had issues penetrating a deer far enough to kill it. Like yep. that, that type of thing has led me to not mess around with a whole lot of different stuff and just keep it simple. Whereas other guys may have come into those situations. I'm not saying I won't. I probably will at some point, but you know, other guys have, are probably tweaking their setup just because like, i never want to experience that, yep. that situation again.
2: I think that's exactly, why, that's why yeah, we man. did it. You and I both stuck deer in the shoulder the year before we did that, mm-hmm. that we lost.
3: Yep. And, I mean, it, it, it even goes back to, you know, the whole fixed blade versus mechanical, right? Like, I've I've killed plenty <laughs> of deer go. with... Well, no, I mean, yeah, that's a radical, <laughs> we <go>. right? I, <laughs> I've killed I've killed plenty of deer with a fixed blade, but I've also lost more deer with a fixed blade than I have with a mechanical, probably simply because I can't find blood. Yeah, maybe not because they're not dead. Just yeah, just because, can't find blood. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you can argue against it. Like, people can say, well, I'll never shoot a mechanical, and it's like, cool, like... You're gonna hit deer of where you probably killed them, but you can't find them
0: <laughs> kind of broadhead you shooting jared I'm gonna try something new this year, I think. Um, last year I shot a couple different ones, both fixed and expandable. I killed a couple deer with um with an expandable and I killed well I killed the big ten late January with a fixed uh, wasp pavilion on broadhead mm-hmm. um, I, I might. I don't know. I, I'm not fully decided. I, I like the idea of a fixed broadhead and nothing going wrong with it, but I've killed so many deer with the mechanical broadhead over the years that I, I have a lot of faith in that too. So oh. I haven't fully decided what I'm going to use yet, um, but most likely it'll be expandable.
1: Yep.
2: Durability is the word that I was looking for. I, th- I think that's the the biggest weakness of an expandable, broadhead. I like everything sure. about an expandable broadhead except for the durability aspect. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I mean, I still think it, in most cases, you hit that deer just right in the shoulder. I don't care what you're using; you're probably not killing it.
2: Well, and you know what? For Jared's setup, I might not recommend. Like, so for me, I would say, man, if if they could build um, whatever a Rage Tripan is what we typically shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they could guarantee me was not going to break. Like it's 100% will not ever break. For my setup, because I'm shooting 80 pounds and heavy arrow, you know, solid FOC, I think that's like the optimum setup. I'm going to get a good mm-hmm. blood trail every time. I'm going to get penetration. It's perfect. But that broadhead's but likely going to break. It Well, not likely, but there's an opportunity. Solid bone will break. It, it, it. certainly is not going to hold up as well as. A well, fixed. Like, yeah, like you said, you're, you're fixed. But for Jared's setup, he's shooting 65 pounds, not quite as heavy of an arrow, you know, isn't guaranteed the penetration that you know my mm-hmm. my setup is going to guarantee. You know, m- maybe you are better off looking at either a, a, sm- a smaller cutting diameter expandable or um, a fixed blade. Even.
0: Right,
1: hmm. right.
0: Yeah, and I, I I like the idea of the smaller diameter ones too. I think uh, a lot of guys see that two inch or whatever number and like man bigger is better but that's not always the case with those expandables i think there's something to be something to be said for those smaller damn like the inch and a half yeah on the on the mechanicals.
3: i agree yeah i mean ultimately you still got to put it in the right
0: place there there is (laughs) one
2: there's one like i don't want to throw this company under the bus but here it goes i think that uh, (laughs) actually i I don't remember what they're called uh what's that one that levi shoots schwacker the schwackers so, that I think is the worst of both worlds in that it is a big cutting diameter, but you don't get that hole until it's inside the animal
3: or exiting. Yeah.
2: Exiting. If you get an exit, if you don't get an exit, there's a pin size hole in that animal. Which, by way of Which construction, worse than fixed it loses
3: broadhead. a shitload of momentum. It's huge. it's huge. Do you know what those are? You know yeah. what those
2: broadheads look like? <clears throat> I
3: I haven't shot them, but
2: yeah, I know what you're talking about. I have shot them. Yeah, I've lost deer from them. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys out there that probably will not like Oh, and Levi's
3: throwing a spear through that thing. It's like a 30 inch full shaft arrow with 80 pound limbs. It's two and a
0: half foot stabilizer in the tree. Yeah, that's
3: exactly (laughs) it. Yeah, I mean. Broadheads are
0: similar. Broadheads are similar to arrows, like what we were just talking about. Guys. Guys can obsess over that, and if they have one bad experience, that broadhead's trash. You know, yeah. you can have a, a bad experience with some other equipment. And Meanwhile, I just grew you up know, with one-off deal, but
3: muzzy hundred grains from Walmart. Like that's what that's what <laughs> yeah. I shot growing up was like muzzy hundred grains. That's all my dad bought, and that's all I shot. Period. You know, there yeah.
2: there is one that um, I think is kind of attempting to uh, what I said. It's called that uh, Sever.
1: Yeah, the Sever, S-E-B- bro. The yeah, we've seen more Sever. and more about
2: that they uh it seems really solid it seems like a really good design it essentially is a tripan that is i think maybe a little better construction and it locks into place right versus that flexibility so that Which, that's awesome
3: the only problem with that yeah. is there are some states that's that is considered a barb and
2: it's illegal okay so there's that the issue that i have with it is that it um it can't have any downward pressure on it and so like when i put it in the quiver
3: oh it could set off
2: those Hoyt quivers have a single point of contact and the, the next one is the head in the, sl- yep. in the sleeve. They don't like that. You, you need a quiver with two con- mm. connection points so that the head is free floating. Gotcha.
0: Otherwise. So sever. Yeah. Sever's one that I've been playing around with a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and think about shooting and they, they have, they have the two inch option, but they also have that one point five and one point seven.
3: Yeah, that's nice. That I
0: was talking about. So yeah, that, like like you said, that that technology. I have not shot at a deer yet, obviously, but the technology is, seems to make a lot of sense. It seems like a, and it's it's a quality made broadhead for sure, no doubt. Um I feel like there's a lot of education
3: lacking you- on some of these things. Like, I mean, I I know the brands are putting them out there, but there's so many options anymore that. You know, I don't know, yeah. well, again, it, talking about, like, this whole disjointed or fragmented thing, like, where's the space? It used to be archery talk. I used to go to archery talk and, like, everything bow hunting related. It's lived out there, there
2: for guys that want to go find it. Unfortunately, I think 85, 90% of guys are picking off the, picking, and I shoot Rage, so, yeah. you know. I don't picking off the it, rack. Yeah, they're picking it off the rack, whatever's there. They're shooting the... Uh, What's the other one? The Montag, the G5 Montag. G5s, yeah. Terrible broadhead, in my
0: opinion. But guys are buying them because yeah. it's on the shelf. Yeah. Broadheads yeah. is one of those. Like I said, you can find something negative on every single 100%. broadhead if you if you look out there. I mean, Rage is one of them. You either love them or hate them. Hundred it, it seems to be that that situation. Hundred so. percent.
2: And I've lost your using the very broadhead that I shoot. So certainly, same. They're not perfect.
3: Yeah. Same. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Cool, man. Well, dude, we took up a big chunk of your afternoon. We appreciate you coming on. I, I'd love, I guess, a couple of things. I'd love to get you on maybe sometime mid-season if you can spare a few hours um, just to kind of get a good catch up. But we're also going to set up a pretty uh, solid podcast booth at ATA this year. So maybe we can get you and Mike and the whole crew to come and sit in with us uh, at ATA and we'll do do a cool podcast with everybody there, kind of a season recap type of thing.
0: That would be awesome. Yeah, That's a really good idea, and I'm sure all our guys would, would be for that. But yeah, yeah as fun. far as the midseason one, too, that's always a fun time. We have a lot more relevant information, and um, we'd love to get on see how your guys' season's going, too.
3: As long as the security guards on the floor don't bash us, we may even have some brewskis hit under the <sighs> podcast table. Yeah, no, this is water, uh, Ossifer.
0: Is there a uh, problem? Uh, oh, that'll make for a better conversation.
3: <laughs> is there a problem, Ossifer? Uh, that's awesome. Well, dude, keep <laughs> us updated uh, on the season. We're excited to, to kind of see the the new Midwest Whitetail kick off here and chasing November. Like, that's usually my cue to, like, really hone in on, like, I got to get my ass in gear because those things are now going live. So um I guess we'll we'll get people, send people over to the midwestwaytail.com website, check out your YouTube channel, and uh yeah, we're we appreciate you coming on and good luck in Iowa. If you need anything, holler at us for sure.
0: Yeah, really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Best of luck and, and stay in touch. It's always good catching up.
1: All
3: right, man. For sure, buddy. We'll see you later, man.
0: Thanks, guys. Yeah.
3: And beauty. Told you I like that, guy. Yeah, man. That's You get a couple here, um, Jared being one, uh, Steve Shirk being another. Like, there's like minds in the room, and like you just sit there and talk about deer for three hours. Yeah. I mean, and Steve Steve was too. Jared's just one of them
2: guys, like, you can just tell, like, he loves it. He's ate up. He just loves it the same way we do.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah. It's called
2: a, It's cold. Fine people. Like Those that. are the
3: ones where, like, at some point, I mean, obviously he's got a busy schedule, but like, I'd love to have Jared come out and hunt Ohio with us or Kentucky or whatever. Like, especially because he doesn't hunt out of state that often. Like, it'd be cool. Like, come and do a collab and just hunt with us on, on some place. And, sure. you know, let's shoot a podcast and shoot the shit. And, um, he won't be, I should have asked
2: him, he won't be in St. Louis in a couple weeks. He? No. I know you mentioned Ben. He's friends with some of those guys. Yeah.
3: No, but we should probably get some of those guys on the podcast. Absolutely. Well, um, man, we're in it. Yeah, dude. We're in it at this point.
2: The countdown begins. I said less than two months, but today's the 8th, so we are exactly seven weeks away? Yep. Seven or eight weeks away from our deer hunt. <sighs> yep. Which we're we're gearing up for dude and even before that we're heading to we're heading to Illinois mm-hmm. in two weeks yep and we just got a few more things to order to to tie that up but we're gonna have like four stands to hang four stands watch of stuff fusion X's to get out yep
3: we'll bring our uh, solar panels are ordered
2: we're gonna get some uh, scrapes in we'll do a little uh yep. get
3: a little buck fever buck fever out yep we'll get um we're gonna have to get some lithium batteries. Okay, Sam's Club's place for that. You and a, some are you a member? SD cards? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay, that's where you want to go. SD cards too. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I think we're we're pretty lined out. So, and and also, I don't know. Probably as soon as Jared hung up, everybody else is like, "Yeah, we're off. Too. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, we're just- yeah, we're done. Uh, we're gonna have some some more uh, kind of shorts dropping here on the YouTube channel. Um, so we just did our. Uh, visit to the Ohio lease and I know even a couple days before that you and Colton were on your place so that short will be dropping here um obviously we're gonna have the short from when we go out to Illinois and do the leases and like we're in it man we're off and running at this point we're gonna Colton and I were talking about we're gonna do some throwback hunts Mm -hmm. so some of our old hunts we're gonna reproduce here and and uh put back on the channel so for some throwback type stuff get everybody all psyched up for the season wait (laughs) And uh, also like, I won't embarrass them, but like uh, we had uh, our first uh, shirt sale on the website. Ayo. So uh, thanks to whoever bought- or basically
2: Midwest Whitetail. Yeah, thanks,
3: <laughs> thanks to whoever bought the uh, Hunter T-shirt. Just yeah. in case anybody's Shout wondering, out. we've got inventory. Shout out. <laughs> we're we're not short on inventory, so yeah. that's what uh, you think. I've been. Uh, I know, dude. You're like I'm. Sneak sneaking some back to my I'm house. Five five hats deep. I'm like, jeez. We man. try to send
2: them to people who join us on the podcast too. So
3: yeah, that is true. I gotta write Jared on that. So, but we appreciate everybody listening to the Hunter Podcast. Um, hopefully you enjoy this with Jared Mills and Midwest Whitetail. Check out Chasing November and the new Midwest Whitetail season coming out in August.